You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. Welcome back, everybody, to the Oz Network as we conclude anniversary year as by <laughs> taking a look at the iconic, the legendary, the fantastic, the underrated, the film that you will love by the end of this five-hour recap because we're going to spend all that time saying how amazing this movie is and that you're wrong for being hating this movie for the last 20 years. I do, of course, speak of Gojira! Gojira! Uh, otherwise known as Godzilla, the 1998 Roland Emmerich blockbuster that really just failed miserably on many counts and is often regarded as one of the worst movies of all time. But we're here to tell you that you're wrong. This movie's good. <clears throat> all right? It's fantastic. And you should enjoy it. My name is Ben, and you might be the wrong man for the job, but I think you're cute. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and my name is Colin Tatapopoulos. I mean, Tapodopoulos. I mean, Taco Apocalypse. Or just, just Colin. Just go with Colin. Taco Popalipsa. Isn't that the new Taco <laughs> Bell uh, range or something like that? Um, this movie's fantastic. Shut up, everyone. Stop complaining about this movie. I'm sick of it. All right, I've put up with it for 20 years. People say this movie's crap. It's not. It's good. I love this movie, and I watched it last night, and I'm like, oh, I want to watch it again. It's just. It's just dumb fun. It's like, it's dumb, but it's great. It's fun. I love this movie. Colin, help me out here. You like this movie too. I do like this movie. Um, I think we do have to emphasize the word dumb because <laughs> I think that's where this movie gets a bad rap. And I think there's two problems here. One, people who aren't fans of Godzilla will be like, this is just a cheesy, bad 90s blockbuster and people who are Godzilla fans will say it's not cheesy and not bad enough because the guy isn't wearing a rubber suit and you don't have bad dubbing and everything like that. But uh, there's these two camps and both just seem to hate it. But I feel like if you just if they would have called this movie anything other than Godzilla and I think if this were to have been released before independence day or maybe one movie later maybe like you know uh in 2000 instead of 98 is a direct follow-up to independence day it would be given so much more credit i mean it's not a brilliant movie but it's not meant to be you know there's problems with it it's probably 20 minutes too long uh there's some pretty bad effects in there even in 98 but there's also some pretty good effects and it's just it's it's like you said it's 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 just fun it's <laughs> There's nothing you can. I'm going to be spending most of this movie criticizing it, but at the same time, I can't deny it's an entertaining movie, and uh, this was the one I was most excited to watch. So, guilty pleasure here. I think you and I both had the idea of doing this film at the very beginning of the Oz Network when you just said guilty pleasure, and we kind of, you know, that was one of the mm -hmm. first things we ever talked about was like guilty pleasure month or things like that, something we've never really done, but it's still a case of. This has finally come about to this point where we're, we're looking at this finally. But, um, yeah, I mean, I will say that coming into the first time I ever saw this movie, I, you know, maybe flicked channels late at night on a channel here called SBS when they're, you know, they show a lot of foreign movies and a random Godzilla movie's on. Um, and you know, you're looking and go, oh, that looks so stupid. It's a man in a rubber suit walking around blowing up like cardboard box buildings. Um, so yeah. I mean, you know, I was never one to really, be a fan of the Godzilla series, and I've never really watched any of the Godzilla movies outside of that. So I'm definitely not in the Godzilla fan camp or anything along those lines. I'm I'm an idiot. I like Die Another Day. I like stupid <laughs> movies. So this is always going to be right up my alley. But 
I, I never saw this at the cinema, but I remember Dad and I, like, renting this on video, and just it was just one that randomly we would just get out, and then it would be on TV, and then I recorded it on TV once, and just would always watch it. And this was kind of one of those ones that I would always just watch at least, you know, once a year, you know, even multiple times a year, because it was just always one I'd see sitting there going, oh, Godzilla, I love that movie, I'm going to watch it. Um, and just so many things about this movie that just really draw me to it. Like, I just, I love the style of this movie because it's, it's done in a way where it's almost a comedy and it's just, mm. it works. Like, it's just one of those natural ones where it's not meant to be a comedy, but it is actually funny. I think that, you know, there is some pretty bad acting in this movie, but it's not, <laughs> it's not like so bad that you just get taken away and it almost works that you've got bad acting in this movie. It doesn't really ever try to take itself too seriously. I mean, there are some moments where it does. Um, and, you know, I love a good destruction movie. New York looks fantastic in this movie, and that's rainy and foggy. I love my fog. I love my rain. Um, you know, Matthew Broderick, who doesn't love Ferris Bueller? Uh, Jean Reno, oh, yeah. Jean Reno, whatever his name is, he's amazing. Hank Azaria is in this movie. <laughs> Doug from Desperate Housewives is in this movie. Uh, wow. <laughs> Harry Shearer is in this movie. <laughs> There's so many good people in this movie. Aaron from 24 is in this movie for like two seconds. Yeah. Um, and the soundtrack, wow, this is like one of my favourite soundtracks of all time. I really love the music in this film too. Oh, yeah. Just everything. Um, I mean, I don't know. Did you see this at the movies when you were what, like fifteen or something like that? When this when this movie came out? Yeah, yeah, I remember. Um, the, I mean, this whole summer, everybody remembers. If you don't remember seeing the movie, you remember the year long build up mm, to it because mm-hmm. we're talking pre Phantom Menace here and uh, Avatar or uh, Avengers or anything else like that. 1998 this was hands down the most heavily hyped movie in hollywood history you just you couldn't escape it for for close to a year and so it was one of these things where i think that i I, you felt like you had to watch it because of well this is the big movie and we're in a different age now where a movie like this comes out every single week that's like heavily hyped i mean we're, we're recording this at the time of bohemian rhapsody coming out and you know the the hype level behind that is not the level of godzilla nor I think is anything released this year. I mean, if you could maybe say Infinity War was, but like th- it was one time a year you got a movie of this size that came out. So I, I remember being like, you know, I- I'm I'm a- okay on Independence Day. It was a good movie. I love it. It's entertaining. It wasn't like my favorite movie of all time. I had seen maybe one Godzilla movie at the time. It wasn't like a huge fan, but it's just I I have to go see this because it's going to be the big movie this summer. And I remember my sister and I went. Uh, it wasn't open. It was opening week because it was during the summer. School was out, so not necessarily opening weekend. And we went to a matinee, and the theater was. Uh, it, it, this movie gets some unfair uh, revisionist history of saying it was a bomb. It definitely wasn't, but it wasn't the crowd that I expected. Um, but I just walked away from it thinking like that's a fun movie again, kind of like Independence Day. Not the greatest movie I've ever seen, but. It was one of the few movies that summer that I think I genuinely enjoyed. And 1998, it'll be interesting we go through like the big movies that year because I think almost all of them were misses on some level with uh, audiences and with critics. Somehow this just got that that unfair criticism in comparison to some of the others that came out that year. But like you said, outside of just the movie itself, even after it came out, you couldn't escape the soundtrack. The soundtrack was incredible and uh some of those 90 soundtracks you go back and you listen to them now and you're like wow there's like three or four good songs and you're like every song on the godzilla soundtrack was incredible mm-hmm. 
And it's just one of these movies that, whether it was on TV or VHS or whatever, any chance I got to watch it, it, it was never like, oh, I'm desperate. I got to see Godzilla again. But it was like, oh, Godzilla's on. I'm going to tune into this. Or, oh, it's been you know, about a year. Let me watch Godzilla again. It's just, I, I've, I've never really been an obsessed fan of this movie. I've become a huge fan of the Godzilla franchise since then. And maybe my opinion would have been different if I had seen those movies first. Uh, but I still enjoy it to this day just as much as I did in 1998. You mentioned the marketing campaign, and I mean, I remember that so vividly, the, uh, those two trailers that kind of came out, which, you know, were, it was mm-hmm. so well marketed, this film. Um, and it was kind of done in a similar vein to Independence Day. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm a huge Independence Day fan. I'd probably put that in my top 10 favorite movies of all time. Um, and you know, you, you remember the, the marketing campaign into that kind of, you know, you never saw what the movie was. You just kind of see buildings getting blown up. It was just sort of like, wow, what is this movie? I've got to see it. And then this was a similar to, you know, Godzilla. You kind of had that one with the cops sort of standing on his car and you see the car shaking and the umbrellas looking up and you see the debris falling down and you kind of see those quick shots of, you know, things falling around. And then there's the other one of the guy fishing and, you know, the wave coming towards him. Mm-hmm. They were kind of like the two trailers that they used in the lead up to this, which just really, you know, as you're saying, made it. Everybody was anticipating this film. And I'm a, I'm a huge Roland Emmerich fan. Like, as I said, Independence Day, mm-hmm. one of my top 10 movies probably of all time. Uh, I remember seeing Stargate was one of the, you know, very first movies I ever remember seeing, you know, oh. I would have been seven when that came out. Uh, Day After Tomorrow, that was the first movie I ever saw at the cinemas three times. Um, not like your 30,000 you saw. Oh, Day so After, good. Day After, well, wasn't it? Uh, Phantom Menace that you saw. Um, 2012. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, talk about dumb movies that are just ridiculous, but it's very entertaining. <laughs> Um, and you know, then he kind of did Independence Day Resurgence, but we just forget he ever did that. And I know he's done the ones in between yeah. there, but I haven't really seen, but oh, The Patriot, of course I've seen The Patriot. Um, so yeah, I'm a fan of Roland Emmerich. I, I love kind of the style of movies he generally does. Yeah. So yeah, I, I look, I'm looking forward to just talking about this and people already have tuned <laughs> People haven't downloaded this episode. They've seen our introduction. Oh, they're defending Godzilla 1998. Skip. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's not like well, one we, of these. It's not like the said, last action hero last week, is it? Where it's kind of slowly coming around to people liking it. This is still hate. This has never gotten that cult status. You know, twenty years later. Well, I will say two things. One, you know, at the end of the last episode, we did kind of say, even if you hate this movie, you have to listen to this podcast because it's not just going to be us sitting there saying, "Oh, it's unfair that people criticize this." Like. We're aware, like we said in the intro, this is a dumb, fun movie. Yes. And part of it being fun is how dumb it is. Yeah. Not in like this isn't one of these things where it's it, the, the Wicker Man. It's so bad, it's entertaining. <laughs> like it is an entertaining movie that just happens to be dumb, childish entertainment. Um, the second thing, uh, you know, where you're saying about, uh, the advertising campaign I wanted to add was, um, I don't know know if you got because I think this was something where it was more advertising around like the major cities in the United States. But I remember watching TV and on the news or like enter, entertainment shows like Access Hollywood or Entertainment Tonight, they would have like their daily Godzilla update. And one of the things they did to build this movie is they didn't show Godzilla in any of the promotional materials. They would only show bits and pieces of him. So you would see his foot, you know, in a TV spot uh, or on the poster or something like that. And that was the big reveal. And that's what they thought would really get people in the theaters. Like, I have to see what Godzilla looks like. Maybe that was what led to part of the letdown of the movie. But I can remember where they would have billboards they would show on TV where it would be like, you know, his eye is the size of an SUV. Mm. 
or his foot is the size of uh, a gas station and, and it was things like that comparing the size and obviously the big uh, tagline for the movie the size does matter became such a big thing like it's funny that i probably have more memories of the campaign leading up to this movie than I do any other movie of this time period. Like it was, you couldn't escape it, whether it was the tagline or billboards or promotional tie-ins or whatever it is. Like there was just so much hype. And maybe I think it's one of these things where they showed so little that by the time the movie came out, people were like, well, that was okay. You know, I, I just imagine what it would have been like if, you know, you saw Star Wars for the first time, obviously, you'd never seen anything like that. Or Jurassic Park for the first time, and they tease you'd never seen anything like this. We had seen Jurassic Park five years prior to this movie. We'd seen The Lost World a year prior to this movie. So maybe building the entire thing around, we won't let you see Godzilla until you pay for the admission. And then when people saw it, it was sort of like, okay, it's <laughs> similar to Jurassic Park, kind of a different design. Maybe that hurt it a bit. And I think what you said earlier about take the word Godzilla off this movie and call it something completely different. And, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's a different... It has a different reputation. Call and it Cloverfield. Yeah, well, <laughs> Cloverfield, <laughs> sure. Um, because I think what we'll obviously talk about throughout this is, you know, the 2014 version, um, sort of what they did there, and ultimately oh. the, the Japanese kind of... The, their background of disowning this version, that they essentially mm-hmm. renamed this character. This isn't Godzilla, this is just Zilla. Um, so, yeah. you know, everything around that, but, um, you know, you know, this movie is going to have something bad about it at the very beginning when it starts with the French national anthem, right? So, I mean, that's, that's what I'm, <laughs> I'm blaming it straight away. <laughs> we watch it. The French. <laughs> um, we basically have this opening montage of, uh, I guess the nuclear testing done by the French and the, uh, in the French, French Polynesia and the South Pacific Ocean. And I actually, I remember growing up um, when they were sort of doing that still because, it, you know, there's a lot of news in Australia about kind of how this affects the ocean long-term and whether or not it was going to affect us. And I remember seeing some sort of news report about how it was starting to, like, crack the ocean floor. And I was like, you know, I'm like, however old I was, I'm thinking, like, oh, the Earth is going to blow up. Like, the French are blowing the world up. So, like, maybe this is a lot of... Some of the reason why I hate the French. I hate the French. Despise the French. That's more politically correct. They created a monster. (laughs) They did. It's all the French's fault. All right. (laughs) You know? Um, so we, I mean, I do kind of like this opening montage though of the the music and seeing sort of like in a sepia tone and we get shots of these little iguana lizard things. Um, which, you know, is your first clue that maybe this Godzilla's not going to look like what you probably think it will look like. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, the big build up to the bomb going off and everything. And then we get, uh, some boats, um, getting attacked, well, a boat getting attacked. Japanese guy watching sumo wrestling because that's what they watch in Japan. Um, poor old guy nearly getting chopped up and diced by all these knives. What sort of bed is he sleeping in that has knives above him? Like, is he sleeping in the, does he have a bed in the kitchen? Like, I don't understand that. Um, but then we eventually get to meet our hero of this movie, Dr. Nico Tapatopatopoulos, um, <laughs> aka Mr. Matthew Broderick. Now, 
Do you think that a lot of this movie suffered? Like, Matthew Broderick's an A-list star. I mean, still at this point, you know, Ferris yeah. Bueller had only been, what, about 10 years prior? He'd done Lion King. Inspector Gadget was around about this time as well. So, still, you know, a bankable star in 1998. But do you feel as though that had they gotten somewhere else, someone else a little bit different than Matthew Broderick, this might have had a different reaction? Yeah, I think that's, you know, when we look at the box office on the end, the fact is that as much hype as this movie had, even its opening weekend was good, but it wasn't, like, enormous. And kind of going back to what I said earlier, about they, they intentionally didn't promote this movie on, you're going to get to see Godzilla. It's like, well, you got to get in there. But you still have to get people in the theater. And when you look at this cast as a whole, I mean, you got Matthew Broderick, who, you know, is a, a well-known name, um, but... Certainly had never been in a, like an action blockbuster before. You've got Jean Reno, you know, who most people just knew from the Leon, the professional or Mission Impossible. And then you got Hank Azaria, a voice from The Simpsons. Um, you don't exactly have movie stars that are going to be bringing their audience in. And even just comparing this to other Roland Emmerich movies, it just, it feels odd to go from Universal Soldier, you got Van Damme and Dolph Lundgren, you know, both big action stars at the time. They're going to bring their audience. Stargate, James Spader, Kurt Russell, you know, movie tough guys. Independence Day, even not like at movie star level, but like Jeff Goldblum had had Jurassic Park. Bill Pullman was, I guess people recognized him. He was in Will the League Smith of Their Own. was a big TV star. <laughs> For five yeah, minutes? I, like, I guess Bill, <laughs> Bill Pullman would have been, Casper? you know, like the, the poor man's Matthew, poor, man, poor man's Matthew Broderick at the time. Will Smith, not necessarily a huge star, but I mean, he had bad boys. So it, it's, I think it definitely did hurt this movie a little bit, not having, I wouldn't even say recognizable actors, but actors that aren't going to be bringing, their fan bases are not Godzilla fan bases, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, one, I will say though, that like a lot of what I like about this movie is the cast. I think that it's just, they've yeah. all got great chemistry. They're fun. They all work. And kind of, as I saying, that style where it's almost, you know, comedy in many aspects. And we're going to talk so much about some of just the little moments that happen in this movie, which is so fun. Even, what's her name, Maria Patillo, uh, A-list mm-hmm. star that went on to huge things <laughs> after this. Um, you know, I think- She gets more criticism in this movie than anybody. And I don't quite understand it. I don't think she's great, but like, like, people hate her for some reason. I can't understand it. There's, I mean, there are definitely a few scenes where you're like, okay, that's bad. But, again, it's the style of the movie that it yeah. sort of, it works. Like, if this was Saving Private Ryan, no, she's going to get a lot of criticism, rightly so. But <laughs> this is Godzilla. And, I mean, if she gets criticism, I mean, there are definitely some moments with Matthew Broderick where you're kind of like, whoa, okay, <laughs> Matthew, what's your acting ability like there? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, but I mean, it's just, everyone gels so well on this cast. And I, I think at the end of the day, this movie isn't really about its stars. Oh, it's about Godzilla. He's, you know, he is the star of this movie. So, um, you know, we're going about the marketing campaign. It's, it's never really touted as, you know, Godzilla, Matthew Broderick, Maria Patillo. Uh, like, you never see <laughs> Jean Renault. Jean Renault. The Frenchiest French guy you ever see. Um, yeah. And Bo from The Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> and don't forget Ken Brockman. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so yeah, it's never sort of built on its star power, but I, I enjoy it. But it's, it's generally always, I think, touted as the Matthew Broderick Godzilla when people talk yeah. about it. So, uh, but we meet him, he's driving, he's singing in the rain. <laughs> a lot of rain in this movie. It's a very wet movie. Oh, yeah. Um, and he's in Chernobyl, he's getting earthworms. What a job. Like, he's the worm guy. <laughs> Um, I mean, does, does he have to wear a hazmat suit or anything? Like, I still think in 2018 they have to dress in hazmat suits in Chernobyl, don't they? Like, is that safe? Um, well, he, his job is basically to study a radioactive worm, so <laughs> I would be protecting myself. I'd at least be wearing gloves. Yeah. I do like when this helicopter lands and just all these military people come out and he's like, he's trying to speak. He's like, oh, permit, how do you say Permit. Um, and then guess who we get to meet? The star of this movie, not really, Glenn Morshauer, aka Aaron, <laughs> from 24's in this movie, playing every single similar character he plays in everything he's ever in. He literally always plays some form of agent or government person. Um, but yeah, I, I forgot he was in this movie, to be honest. And we get the first of our running joke of Dr. Nico Tapatopoulos. <laughs> it's like, it's the Topoulos. <laughs> Which, you know, probably wouldn't fly in 2018, um, but I, I like it. It's kind of funny. Uh, just, yep. Uh, and then we see Jean Renault, uh, using his skilled, um, interrogation attributes of, uh, holding a lighter up to a Japanese man and making him talk. I don't, I don't understand that. Like, this just- Is it hypnotizing? Like, <laughs> is this entire thing is that he basically said, you saw a giant lizard. <laughs> but even then, it's kind of like, when they, when he's doing it and he's just looking, he's like, Godzilla! Godzilla! And then you'll see this in footage later on. Where's the cameraman filming this? Like, there's no camera <laughs> filming this. Oh, there's bigger questions about this I'll have later on. <laughs> but like, it's even, if, if this is a world where he's saying, oh, it's Godzilla! It's Godzilla! It's like, well, if they know that's what he's saying, then surely they know that, like, that's, if they live in a world where Godzilla exists, like, I don't, yeah, there's a question there. Um, but then we are in Panama, we meet, uh, what's his name? Colonel something or other? Hicks, Colonel Hicks. Kevin Dunn, now what's he been in? He's been in lots of things, hasn't he? Yeah, he's one of these guys you'll recognize from everything. Um, Transformers. I'm. Transformers, yeah, oh yeah, he was the dad in Transformers. Um, why do I feel like, it was, especially in '90s action movies, yeah. he would always appear as this type of character? He was in a comedy too. I can't mm. remember what it was. He's in Hot Shots. Small Soldiers. There you go. Small Soldiers. Um, Dave. He was in Dave. I love that movie. Um, yeah, he's definitely one of these ones who just always pops up in things. But we meet him for the first. The Sixth Man. This, yes, that great movie. Um, <laughs> I was more looking at um, that he was in You May Not Kiss the Bride. What a, what a movie that was. <laughs> One of my favourites. Um, but we're in Panama and we're basically, uh, he's been sent, he's been picked up here. We're just going to call him Matthew Broderick. We're just going to call him Bueller. Um, he's been picked up <laughs> to study a new uh, specimen and then he realises that he's standing in a giant footprint and that's his new specimen. Now, just a small little brag, I've been past these uh, footprints. They were filmed at that Kalua ranch in Hawaii, Jurassic Park. So many different things. Lost everything that was there. And kind of on the movie part of the tour, you drive past this big field and there's still, like, one of these footprints in the ground. 
um, from this. So, and they have a little sign there saying, like, this is from Godzilla, 1998. So, you know, not completely erased from history. They still want to have um, some sort of monument here that they filmed it. Um, and then we meet, uh, I don't even know who the woman is. What is her name? Does she even get a name in this movie? The redhead? Um, she's like, oh, uh, Lucy. Lucy. Of course it's Lucy. Oh, no, 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 no. Lucy's the wife. Yeah. Uh, no, what is her name? <laughs> You're right. Is it Elsie? Dr. Elsie Chapman? Is it? There's like three women uh... in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> To be continued. Yeah, uh, well, I know the actress. I but, I like um, her because like it's it's weird though. She kind of becomes prominent at the beginning, but then she just disappears, only to come yeah. back at one point to be like, "Are you looking for the nest?" <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but I do kind of just like the way here she's like, you know, talking about like I told you this is in his field, but nobody listens to genius. And then she just like <laughs> turns around and straight away like looks at him. It's like, like oh hi, like that's Jamie. That is, um, that is, yeah. <laughs> he's a person. Oh, oh, hello. Take your shirt off. Um, and then we meet random assistant guy who sneezes in his hand and basically wants to shake Matthew Broderick's There are hand. a lot of like background characters that are given very prominent introductions and you will never hear from them again. Yeah. Yeah. They're just really crazy. And then all of a sudden they like some guy comes running in and is like, the French have released it. They've released the tape. Of, like, the background, and yet in five minutes' time, when we meet all these French guys, they're all like, shocked, there's French people here. <laughs> like, I don't understand why they're so excited. The French have released it, and five minutes later, they hate the French. Like, I mean, it's natural to hate the French, but still, <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Um, we then meet uh, the star of this film, Maria Patillo. <laughs> I do. You know, for each character you introduce, you're using the same line. We then meet the star of this film. Because <laughs> they're all big household names. Um, <laughs> but I absolutely love Hank Azaria and his wife, Lucy. Yeah. Maybe the best people in this entire movie. <laughs> Hands down. Oh, just this conversation they're having about, um, you know, well, should I ask him? I'm going to ask him. It's like, no, don't be silly. No. Oh, no, because we haven't met Hank Azaria yet. We're only just meeting Lucy here, aren't they? So we're in the office. And we realise that she's a reporter and she meets uh, the star of this movie, Harry Shearer. <laughs> A.K.A. Charles Kamen, um, who... And I, I mentioned it last week. There are three main Simpsons voice actors in roles in this movie. Obviously, mm-hmm. Anchor's area is the main one, Harry Shearer. And you will see a brief glimmer of Nancy Cartwright um, at one point. But um, here he is, Kent Brockman, playing a new... <laughs> News person, <laughs> and she's wanting a big break. She's sick of being his assistant, and he's basically flirting with her and wanting her to come to dinner again. This would not fly in 2018. <laughs> Hashtag me too. Uh, I'm sure that uh, he's gotten lots of uh, you know he's been fired now. 20 years later, after all of this, and all the way he treats his uh, female staff. Um, and he basically is like, nah, you can't get ahead unless you have dinner with me. And we see a little clip of him, I guess, um, about to read the news, put up against the tallest woman in the world. (laughs) (laughs) And then the way he just kind of has to stand up and is like, tonight on the news in his perfect, like, Kent Brockman voice. Um, and I might just add here, um... Back with Matthew Broderick and the gang, the stars of this movie, uh, driving along in the Jeep. <laughs> this is where uh, our red-headed favourite, we don't even know her name, is, keeps flirting with, thinks he's cute. And we find a giant boat which has been washed ashore 
and uh, we see Jean Reno again pretending to be an insurance guy, and uh, Nick is getting a piece of like blood or something from the boat, essentially. Uh, and maybe I'll just add that three boats then get dragged underwater. Uh, so we're just kind of getting lots of little <laughs> clips here of, you know, the lead up. It's, it is very Independence Day in some aspects that it's kind of just, it's the lead up to the big reveal. It's very Roland Emmerich, I guess, how he's doing this. And this is the sort of thing that I like. And I don't know, it's just, it's an anticipation for what's going to come at this point. Yeah, this is the first half hour of the movie where you introduce a character and then you see a ship emerging from the purple cloud in Independence Day and introduce another character and then another shot of a purple cloud somewhere else. <laughs> uh, it's very similar to Independence Day. Uh, I mean, this is their style and they nail it. But um, a couple of things I want to uh, mention here just on the opening credits. I don't know why it took me this long to pick up on this, but there's only one egg and I don't know when when I see all these lizards for years I thought this was like some big plot hole or I'm like well they should there should be a million Godzillas but like I, I guess they show after the nuclear explosion only one egg is left mm. and stupid me it's taken me 20 years to figure out well that's why there's they keep saying there's only one of them but it does bother me later on in the movie when everybody seems insistent there's only one of him and it's like well, did they watch the opening credits how do they know that <laughs> like <laughs> There's no reason they would be like, but there was only one egg. We saw the footage. <laughs> we filmed it. Um, yeah, <laughs> it was it was in that tape with the French stuff and the American stuff and everything on one VHS tape. <laughs> uh, that'll come up later on, too. Um, okay, I, here, what, one of the first attacks, or I guess the first attack with Godzilla, when it's on the Japanese boat, like you mentioned, it's a very brief moment i don't know if you noticed it but I'm, I'm assuming you're a fan of die hard as well right oh, yes of course any person with a penis is yeah exactly and some without <laughs> um, no only but... men can like that movie colin <laughs> one of the one of the guys on this ship who was only in like two shots here is one of the henchmen from die hard he's the the japanese henchman with the long hair his most famous moment is when uh john mcclain storms onto the roof just opens the door and all of a sudden this guy has this shocked look, and John McClane just blows him away with a machine gun. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, so he actually is in one shot here, which I'm just like, ah, oh, the guy from Die Hard. And I'm sure nobody else noticed that, especially in 1998. Whatever happened to him? He was a great henchman. Uh, he should have been. He should have been like Godzilla's henchman in this movie. Like, we been need Godzilla. more. He should have been Godzilla. Yeah, put him in a rubber suit. He can pull it off. <laughs> um. Uh, my biggest question here is with Nick. So another thing is taking me 20 years to realize that, I mean, I get he's singing, singing in the rain, but it's in the rain. But then when you have to sit down and take notes and actually analyze the things, you think to yourself, did this song just happen to come up at the right time? Or does he have a playlist for like every weather condition? You know, does he pop in his cassette or his CD uh, where it's like, uh, you know, uh, oh, okay, let's, let's turn on the playlist. Dry with a chance of precipitation. <laughs> I'm walking on sunshine. <laughs> There's flurries in the air. Snow may come soon. <laughs> he just has playlists for every type of weather condition. Tornado, tornado. There's a fucking tornado. <laughs> the unreleased track from Twister. <laughs> just wax on a human's being um, by Van Halen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I do love the Gojira thing because, again, I think Godzilla fans would get. I mean, that is what they call Godzilla there. Uh, Godzilla is just, I don't even know if it's an American translation. It's just, we need a word 
what it probably came about as because I, I think Gojira means something. I don't know if you can look that up. Uh, oh, but make me work during a podcast. My oh goodness! Come on, I can't do all the heavy lifting here. <laughs> um, but uh, when they were coming up with the name for the American one, they just needed something that you know, I guess the mouth would match. When they keep saying Gojira, what what is it? How are you going to get the lips to sync when you dub this in English? And they're like Godzilla, like giant lizard. Uh, but them including that Gojira is kind of cool in here because uh, that's obviously not just what Godzilla is called, but that was the original movie Gojira. Um. But yeah, I, I do wonder if he was hypnotizing this guy here. Like, uh, and is this like the only survivor too? And why are there is the media not all over this guy? You know, how did the French guy happen to find out about this? It's not like it happened in French waters. Like, this is obviously Japanese waters too. Uh, there's a lot of questions about Jean Reno's character that are never resolved in this movie like you you literally enter this movie knowing nothing about him and you leave the movie knowing nothing about him and I think that's kind of a cool gimmick I I like that final moment you're just like ah still know nothing about this guy Uh, but when uh, Nick shows up and the, the giant footprint scene which is of course a famous scene because a lot of people point out that uh when he's in the footprint you have to climb a ladder to get in or out. And yet somehow they just walked straight into this without <laughs> dropping five feet. <laughs> uh, one of the big plot holes of the movie. But I, I love the moment with, with Kevin Dunn here when Matthew brought us like, do you know that you interrupted a three-year study on the Chernobyl earthworm? <laughs> and then he's like, They're, the earthworms are 17% larger. And he's like, 17%? You don't say. Wow. <laughs> it's like on the Honest trailer, there's a bit where he basically, I oh know, see everything wrong with Sorry, where he comes in and quips and he's like, 17% isn't that much. Would you say a dollar seventy is a lot more than a dollar? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 17,000 more than a thousand. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, uh, no, it's just the way the 17%, you don't say. <laughs> uh, I do love all the reporter stuff. If there was anything I wanted more of in this movie, I'm not just saying because it's Harry Shearer. I wanted more of this because that would be another throwback. And again, I think at the time that this movie came out, I had seen the original Godzilla. And another interesting thing that people don't realize is that the, the Japanese, if you watch Gojira, the original Japanese Godzilla. Uh, it's really just dealing with scientists and politicians. And when they adapted it into the uh, English language movie, they figured, well, we need an American actor in here, and we need like something for, for the audience's perspective. So they inserted an actor who basically was just standing in the background, and often they'd have like you know him narrating a lot of scenes. And the whole idea that they used for the American adaptation was an American reporter covering these events. And then they'd kind of do a scene with him and then cut to him watching or through bad editing, him watching all the Japanese people do their parts. Uh, so this is kind of like right at the heart of Godzilla. This is how it originated, at least on the American side with reporters covering it. It's just so fun to watch this news station. Everybody that works there. Uh, Lucy's great, especially when you get later in the movie and you realize that Hank Azaria takes all the blame, but like right at the beginning here, the first thing Lucy says is, you gotta grow some balls, Audrey. <laughs> you gotta get dirty in this business. And then when she all of a sudden does go evil, she's like, this is all your fault, Hank Azaria. <laughs> She's definitely like she's on screen. She's definitely very she's the 90s. devil on the shoulder of Audrey. <laughs> and she's also very nineties. Like get back oh, here, yeah. you retard. <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> yeah, things you could never say twenty years later. <laughs> um But yeah, the I like that she's picking up his groceries, which I do wonder, like 
those groceries are just sitting there. They've been rained on. This guy's not going home till later. He definitely doesn't intend to go home till very much later. These things are all going to be rotten by the time he walks out of that building. <laughs> Another little thing that bothered me when I had to actually write down and take notes here. Uh, but the, let's be honest. The chair gag, like, if you want to say this movie's dumb, you can't deny some things are pulled off really well. And, and how hilarious that chair gag is where all of a sudden he just goes to sit down and, like, and we're live in five, four, and he's like a, three feet <laughs> lower than this woman. And he basically just squats in a tiptoe position, pretending he's sitting. And then immediately it's like, uh, you know, get me another chair. I just, I love that. Harry Shearer is so good. And another thing I people probably don't realize about him is that, you know, he's most well known now for being a voice actor, obviously, but you know, he started with like, this is spinal tap. And then mm. even on Saturday night live, so like doing live action comedies, his thing. Uh, and then Hank Azaria, uh, same thing. He's primarily known as a voice actor now. And I guess, you know, that's the majority of his work, but he really only appears in a few things live action. I think prior to this, he was in the movie quiz show, which is one of my favorite movies, uh, about the, the game show scandals of the fifties. And, uh, I know he'd done some guest spots on mad about you. You know, he was married to Helen Hunt, I think around this time this movie was, came um, out. Oh, he was Phoebe's. Oh, what was his name on Friends? Basically, at the end of, like, on and off again, boyfriend with Phoebe on Friends, and then essentially right at the end, she had to choose between uh, him or Paul Rudd, and she ended up marrying Paul Rudd. Spoiler alert if you haven't oh. seen Friends. But, um, yeah, I loved his cat. David was his name on Friends. He was so good with Phoebe. It was funny. It's just, it's, when you find, you know, a voice actor that is this good, I don't know what it is with him where he never became a big star, because... His comic timing, live action, is mm -hmm. incredible. You know, he's an awkward-looking guy, but, I mean, there, there's lots of great... I mean, that's a comedian. I mean, Jim Carrey's an awkward-looking guy. Robin Williams, Mike Myers. I, I just... I honestly believe that if there's any actor from this time period... I'm not just saying this is like because I love Godzilla. Just Hank Azaria in general. Any actor from this time period who really could have been one of the big stars in comedy, he could have been an Eddie Murphy or a Mike Myers. It's definitely got to be Hank Azaria. Like, everything he does in this movie is gold. Yeah, I completely agree. And, I mean, another random one I really like with Hank Azaria, too, is Mystery Men, um, which I remember watching a lot as a kid. Um, I completely forgot he was in that. Yeah, he was a guy with the, uh, was it the forks or the spoons that he threw at people? Mm -hmm. That's a random one that we should cover. Like, Ben Stiller, William H. Macy, like... Such a fun movie. Um, but yeah, he's just, he's just, he's great. And we haven't even met him yet, but we're already talking about him. He's great. <laughs> Love you, Hank Azaria. We haven't um, even met him yet. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's, um, I don't know if you've seen that YouTube series where they kind of get an actor and they go through like each of their major films and kind of, it goes for about 20 minutes and they just sort of go through. I think it's an IMDb sort of series that they're doing. And, um, yeah, he's got one on there and he talks a little bit about Godzilla or about how, you know, it was meant to be his big break. Um, and that, you know, it kind of obviously failed miserably. And he was basically saying about how, um, you know, he was speaking to Roland Emmerich and Roland Emmerich decided that he would make this film like basically rain all the time. And he was like, okay, that sounds good. But he had some girlfriend at the time who must have been an actress. He's like, you're going to be, you're going to hate it. You know, you, you're going to be wet 12 hours a day, <laughs> like for five weeks. Um, and he said he got sick about three times filming this movie because he was just constantly wet. Um, but yeah, uh, Hangar Zero is great. He's fantastic. Um, so we've, yeah, these boats are being pulled down. Um, we're on the plane flying basically to, uh, New York now because they're discovering that this, uh, creature is, uh, close to the US East Coast. 
Um, and then our redheaded uh, friend, who we don't know her name, she uh, apparently reckons it's an Allosaurus. Really? <laughs> don't they announce her as a paleontologist? Um, and she mm. automatically is like, oh, it's, it's, a, it's an Allosaurus. Like, A, isn't a T-Rex bigger? And B, is it really an Allosaurus? Like, <laughs> you I, can tell from the footprint that is about ten times the size of an Allosaurus' footprint would be. She's like the worst paleontologist ever. Um, <laughs> like, but in all fairness, I mean, if it was seventeen percent larger than an Allosaurus, she might have been onto something. <laughs> yes, exactly. Everything everyone knows, seventeen percent is the large number. Um, and then this is one of those moments where I feel like some of Matthew Broderick's acting isn't exactly fantastic when he starts like talking about you know the radiation and. This is a yeah. first species, the new one of its kind. Like, it just sounds really, yeah, really bad. Yeah, it's pretty bad. bad. Um, which then cuts us to New York, and we kind of get that subtitle of the city that never sleeps. I'm like, oh, Winnipeg. Um, and the I just love the <laughs> fog and the mist and just everything around the city. It just looks so good. Um, we're in the diner. This is where we meet Hank Azaria for the first time. Victor Animal Pilati, or whatever his name is. Um, just this conversation that they're having. And yeah, like as you were saying before, like, oh, it's dog eat dog. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. As far as he's concerned, you're just a pair of breasts that talk. And he's just like, oh, there's an image. Um, and then this is, I guess, our, um, our Independence Day scene when the spaceships removed from the fire clouds. You know, this is the, the, the Godzilla attack, I guess, on, uh, New York. Um, she also, meanwhile, sees Nick on TV because, of course, why not? Um, little old Joe the fisherman, he's, uh, jumping down the wharf to go fishing and all these other people are ripping shit into him because apparently that's what they do. Um, then we have this massive wave coming towards him and he's fighting with his little tiny fishing pole. Again, this was on all the ads in the lead up to this, uh, into this film, uh, coming up. We've got all, uh, everyone around the docks area and these boats are flying out. This giant leg comes out of the water and foot crashes on the ground. A guy with headphones on doesn't realize there's basically an earthquake happening around him and only discovers that he's, uh, in danger when he's upside down inside Godzilla's mouth. Um, you know, it's just great. It's kind of, I, I always love scenes like this in sort of disaster movies when you've got the public reacting to all this sort of stuff happening around them and everything like that. And then we have this, I really like this sequence where we've got the mayor giving his speech. And I like the mayor. The mayor's fun. Um, he's off stuff. Michael Lerner, what's he off? You can, you can find that. Jolly, you are smart sure. enough to know that. Um, but um we just have like this sequence where uh he's giving a speech and then just that great shot of all the umbrellas and kind of like an umbrella just gets removed and looks up and you got the cop sitting on his car feeling the ground shake and you see all the debris falling down which again just from all the um ad campaigns um and then we've got uh more debris falling we've got Harry Shearer in his office wanting a story he's complaining about uh, the Korean grocery hold up not being their lead story but it's a lead story in all the other networks got barney on tv for some reason i don't know if you noticed that um and this is where we see nancy cartwright on the phone bart simpson (laughs) who's burnt a hand or something like that and um, they're obviously up on like some high floor and this is where we kind of see the top half of godzilla's head walking past the window and her line there where she's just like uh i think your story just walked past the window and he's like what and misses the you know the tail going past um 
We're back in the diner. We've got Lucy and then Hank Azaria and Maria all chatting. And basically we find out about Nick that he proposed to, uh, what's her name? Audrey. And then she said no. So that's why they broke up apparently. Uh, and then they start hearing like the thump, thump, thump. And what does Lucy say? Like, oh, tell me that isn't another parade. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, uh, I don't think that's a parade. <laughs> As Godzilla walks past. So, uh, Animal's first point of call as a cameraman is to grab his camera and run out to see it. And this is where we get that line. <laughs> Get back here, you retard! Uh, <laughs> which again, so dated. You're not going to have that. I think he, like, she calls him something else later on, which is a bit of a slur. Uh, which she calls him a wop. A wop. You're right. Yeah, there we go. I knew there was something else in this movie. <laughs> um, he runs after it, films it, and uh, gets his camera. Finally, gets the tape working. And this is another scene which kind of always was shown, wasn't it? This foot coming down and crushing a person. Yeah. And um, you know, you think he's dead, but he's obviously gone in between the toes of Godzilla. And just that reaction he has afterwards when he starts laughing, um, I just love it. And something's very much wrong. With his camera if like the only footage he's getting is very grainy like i mean he put the tape in correctly why is it such bad footage um the one bit i do I feel, go, is, it, go. is it the shocks from like godzilla like the tape just keeps jolting all over the place while it's trying to record maybe maybe i don't know like god it's a 1998 technology jesus how did we ever get any movies made back then yeah. um but I do love it when he's, like, running towards Godzilla and you hear somebody in the street yelling, Somebody do something! <laughs> what are they meant to do? <laughs> Freaking giant dinosaur walking down the street. <laughs> oh, okay, I'll do something. Boom, you're dead. Um, Where's the footy, footy foot tall white hunter who can take this thing down? <laughs> yes. Uh, maybe I'll just quickly cap it there, just get a bit of reaction from this. Because, I, yeah, I, I do love this initial sort of attack sequence when we get the big reveal here. And, and again, even at this point, we're not seeing all of Godzilla, even the sort of the bit where we're seeing him, it's, it is that really grainy sort of cut up footage that, uh, you know, animal films. So again, it's sort of, I, I think it works. You don't want to see him straight away. I know a lot of people complained about the newer one that, oh, he's only on screen for like 15 minutes and it takes an hour and 10 minutes to get into the film. Like, you know, have people not seen Jaws? Like, I mean, it's, it's all about the anticipation. We talked about this in Jurassic Park. Like, you don't show them straight away. You build it up to it till you finally get to see them. And I think this is works perfectly in this movie. I'm sure that, um, next year or possibly the year after that, when Godzilla versus Kong comes out, we're going to do like all of these modern movies. So I'll reserve some of my opinions then, but I think, the biggest difference, at least for me, just quickly commenting on 2014 Godzilla is like, yeah, Godzilla only appears for 11 minutes of screen time. But for the majority of the movie, you're like, oh, here's an egg. A creature's going to hatch. And it's not Godzilla. And like <laughs> they show other creatures plenty. It's like you just should have just called it. Uh, what did they call them? Uh, uh, Tito's, Muda's, something like that. <laughs> Mudos, Tudos. <laughs> uh, Tito, Whatever Toto, Michael Jackson. I have no idea. Yeah, <laughs> but I think that's the biggest difference. And I think this movie, there's an area where this movie does it better than the 2014 version because we maybe have a little bit too much Godzilla later on in comparison to what people wanted, but this buildup here is done so well. And uh, like you mentioned with the foot coming down and uh, when the wave comes and you can only see like the little scales on each side of his head, so many great shots here. I think... Roland Emmerich, maybe this movie was a bit rushed because uh, just doing some research, I realized that 
he signed on to this movie about a month before Independence Day came out. Uh, but they were basically promoting Independence Day. So let's say he didn't even start working on this thing for a few months after that. It's only two years, less than two years, in between Independence Day and Godzilla. So I think if he had had more time, there are moments like this where I think like he really pulled it off. And then other things, when the baby Godzilla's come, where it's not really pulled off. This is some of the best stuff in the movie. Uh, and you don't get to see him. I don't know if uh, at this point we see the shot of him where he runs across the bridge. Mm. Um it's one of the few daylight shots either way this this sequence here which is in daylight one of the other reasons it's so good is because it's in daylight and i think one of my few complaints about this movie uh i I have quite a few complaints about this movie but uh, one of the complaints that i really just can't have trouble getting over is they spend the rest of this movie filming him at nighttime where it's not as visible as you want it to be and i much preferred seeing glimpses of godzilla in broad daylight here than seeing all of Godzilla in the nighttime crawling around, you know, uh, around street corners and jumping through buildings and everything. Um, the, the Just going backwards a bit with the Matthew Broderick, the scene you mentioned with the, the bad acting, like the first of a new species. <laughs> the thing that's even more distracting than his acting in that scene is the fact that they're all like dramatic when he's like, I don't think it's a dinosaur. I think it's a mutation. And they're like, what? <laughs> You brought this guy in because he specializes in nuclear radiation mutating animals. And they make it a dramatic moment when he said, like, it's caused by radiation. They're like, no, that's crazy talk. Like, what else did you bring him in for? It's, it's, it should not have been a dramatic moment. Um, I caught to the Barney on the TV during uh, the Bart mm. Simpson scene there. And what is with her hand? It's like... <laughs> We got Harry Shearer, we got Hank Azaria, let's bring one of our Simpsons castmates in. They're like, okay, can you get the one who does Bart? First of all, let's just say, this is the first time I I think I knew she was in the movie before I saw it, like on opening week. It was shown in an interview or something like that. Um, And when I saw her and heard the voice, I'm like, she doesn't even do a voice for the Simpsons, that's just her voice. (laughs) It's it's so weird. You're watching a full-grown woman speak as Bart Simpson. But it's like she showed up to the set and she had her hand in this giant cast. I'm like, oh. But we promised Harry and Hank we'd put her in the movie. What are you going to do? Don't have a cow, man. What if she yeah, don't have a cow. <laughs> what if she had shown up in like an eye patch and missing a tooth or something like that? <laughs> Just totally wrote this in. They're still like, but Hank and Harry, they promised her we don't want to. We don't want to upset Bart Simpson. <laughs> Just so weird. Look at this giant cast because she's typing on a keyboard and there's no physical way she could type. You know she's on the phone, basically like going like, "Hi, is Al there? Alcoholic." Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to speak to Amanda Hug and Kiss, please. <laughs> no, we're just looking for Amanda Hug and Kiss. <laughs> um, yeah, but Barney on the TV is great because it's, it's the same thing we see in Jurassic Park 3 a few years later. So now we realize Jurassic Park 3 stole something from Godzilla. Godzilla stole a lot from the Jurassic Park movies here. Jurassic Park's like, we're going to take that Barney bit. We're going to put it in JP3. Um <laughs> I'm going to argue Jurassic Park 3 is better, though, because we get the kids stopping in a life or death situation to dance to the Barney. <laughs> Dancing dinosaur. Uh, oh, what else? I had uh, somebody else. Oh, yeah. Um, when Harry Shearer does not respond to the footsteps, and same thing with the guy with the headphones earlier on. Like, again, it's it's the tremors of this and the ground shaking because 
when he steps down before you even see Godzilla, cars are jumping two <laughs> feet in the air. Which is also funny that none of the people are moved at all. Like the cars are being lifted off the ground by his footsteps, and people don't even budge. <laughs> but uh, like for me, if somebody like you get a garbage truck that picks up the the garbage from your know, apartment building or something like that, when that garbage truck drops the dumpster on the ground a hundred feet from my apartment, I can feel it. <laughs> so how anybody is not feeling the entire building shake, it's just, it's completely preposterous. But again, that's part of the fun of this movie. Uh, and Harry Shearer can pull it off as comedy. Now, we do have to quickly talk about the the, the mayor, because you know the mayor's name, right? Uh, may, are we talking about the actor, or are we talking about the character? Yeah, the actor, which, by the way, he was in, uh, uh, what do we see here? For Richer or Poor, The Beautician and the Beast. Oh, of course uh, he was. There we go. That's what I know him from. Uh, X-Men Days of Future Past a couple of Coen Brothers movies here including he got nominated for an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor for Barton Fink by the Coen Brothers in 1991 but uh, no the actor Michael Lerner but uh, the character he's playing Mayor Ebert which is the most obvious jab at a movie critic ever because you basically have Michael Lerner playing a guy who looks exactly like Roger Ebert, named Mayor Ebert, whose assistant looks exactly like Gene Siskel, named Gene. <laughs> and this was just their subtle or very much not so subtle way at taking a stab at Siskel and Ebert. I really wanted to find Siskel and Ebert's review of this, and I, I, I finished watching this movie at like 4.30 in the morning this morning, and then I had to go to work, so I didn't have time to do it. But it would be great to see if they actually address that in their interview about the, all the shots of Mayor Ebert throughout the course of this movie where uh, it's like, here, have some candy. <laughs> Calm down. Uh, and they even do the thumbs up and thumbs down gag later on in the movie. But I don't know. Maybe, like, did you catch that or are you just not familiar with the, 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 the personas? Maybe you know the reviews, but was the TV show of Siskel and Ebert ever no, released No, I've there? never never seen the TV show so i mean i mean i know who they are but i wouldn't i mean i may have seen cliff here and there but um yeah i've never ever have i seen kind of yeah to the extent which i would have even picked up on that <laughs> yeah their tv show i would watch it like i think from the age of maybe 13 or 14 on it was on at like two o'clock in the morning on saturday or sunday nights and uh, i would stay up to watch it Every single week, I just love the show, uh, and obviously they're the two most famous movie critics of all time. You know, they, they paired them up together and put them on TV, and they had like epic arguments and everything. They're the entire—it's not even just the look; their entire performances and personas are exactly like Siskel and Ebert. So it's—it—it it seems like maybe an immature thing to do, and like you're just asking for this movie to get panned by the critics, but kind of funny at the same time. The only thing that I can find here is—I oh, just quickly googled it, but. The uh, an article, the 50 harshest Roger Ebert movie review quotes, and number four is Godzilla. Going to see Godzilla at the Palais of the Cannes Film Festival is like attending a satanic ritual at St. Peter's Basilica. So that's <laughs> that's about it. Um, I'm sure there's Wonder probably... Wonder why you in a foul mood. Yeah, exactly. They're just ripping in. Uh, I'm noticing here that, uh, yeah, Michael Lerner was in Third Watch. I remember actually who went, when he was in that, but yeah, he's been in... A bunch of other things. He was in 1978's Wonder Woman, one episode. I wonder if he was Wonder Woman. So uh, that that <laughs> would have been a, a well-cast role, perhaps. Um, 
So after this, we've got a bit more of the military. We've got the uh, mobile command set up in New Jersey. We meet Sergeant O'Neill. It's Doug Savant, a.k.a. Oh, Doug, no. from, Doug from Desperate Housewives. Apparently, it was in Melrose Place, too, but I didn't watch that crap. Um, but you don't like Sergeant O'Neill? What's wrong with Sergeant O'Neill? He's the worst in this movie. <laughs> But that's what I that's what I like about him because like he's so inept at his job and just the way that he's just so bumbling and but like that's again I that's I appreciate I think it works with this movie. It's I'm not to say that because I like the actor. I just kind of like the way he just fumbles his way through his role. It just works. Do you know, just really quickly, my real issue here is not so much the characters. I think there's some really funny things about the character. It's the actor. Like, uh, you might be a fan of something else, but comedy is not his thing because (laughs) there are so many really funny things that are scripted from here. Like, in his introduction, when he's saluting and nobody's recognizing he's there, so he takes a couple more steps forward, salutes (laughs) again, uh, or his stutter he always has going on. Those things are funny, but, like, I swear, I probably watched this movie five or six times before I realized this was supposed to be a comedic performance. He's just got no comic delivery at all. I still like him. I think it's kind of just, you know, watch Desperate Housewives, Colin. I know you want to. Uh, <laughs> just... <laughs> Sorry, I'm more of a Melrose Place guy. <laughs> <laughs> he's uh, he's Lynette's, wa- uh, Lynette's wife, uh, Lynette's husband. <laughs> he's got a lot of range as an actor. <laughs> I know, right? He's a Desperate I want to housewife. go back and- just want to go back and revisit uh, you going, uh, uh, it's the guy from Desperate Housewives. Also, Melrose Place, but I don't watch that crap. <laughs> That's like, he was in 90210. Oh, he was also in Dawson's Creek. Ugh. <laughs> he was in Died of the Day. <laughs> oh, but he was also in Moonraker. Um... Casino Royale. <laughs> Climax. Um, <laughs> anyway, so we find out that, uh, Godzilla has disappeared. Ooh, he's got, maybe he's got like invisible car disease. Like, invisible car disease. Who <laughs> <laughs> can come up that? I don't know why that's so funny. Um,. <laughs> But uh, we we kind of have this section where they're talking about like, oh, it's impossible. How could he disappear? And then we get some more great Matthew Broderick. He's not very good at like the dramatic speech when it's like, no, it's perfect. It's an island surrounded by water. Yes, Matthew Broderick, that's generally what <laughs> islands are. Uh- <laughs> so is America if you look at it that way. <laughs> but just the way it's like an island. What else is an island? Like, is <laughs> It's an island only just separated by water. Uh, <laughs> only one can hide anywhere he wants, because a lot of people hide really well in New York City. <laughs> I mean, look, this is, this is, I guess, the whole main dumbest thing in this movie, is that somehow this freaking thing does be, get to hide. Like, no matter what Matthew Broderick is telling us here right now, this thing is as big as it is. Its foot is the size of a gas station. You know, its head is as big as it is. And somehow it just, like, scurries through the subway system and New Yorkers are just like, eh, hey, forget about it. It's just a subway. Like, I mean... Like- yeah, this this just happened to be the off day when they weren't running a single subway in anywhere in New York City. <laughs> but even then, when they evacuate the city 
and there's no movement in the city. They somehow don't know where this thing is moving through. Are there security cameras everywhere? And like, doesn't the ground collapse underneath this thing, destroying like the foundations of Manhattan? How is that MetLife building with a hole in it still standing? <laughs> it has a hole in it, and there's floors above it still standing. We all saw 9-11. That didn't happen. Like, what is going on? <laughs> no, it's planes. This is a dinosaur. <laughs> I love this movie. Um, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, uh, Audrey steals Harry Shearer's ID because they're relocating to... New Jersey, and they're filming in the helicopter, and we get that kind of slightly awkward line when he turns around and says, in the worst case of destruction since the World Trade Center bombing. It's like, ooh. <laughs> uh, this movie doesn't date well. <laughs> Three years Which, by the way, did you notice it's followed a, a couple of minutes after they show a shot of the World Trade Center where it gets struck by lightning? <laughs> mm, yes, that's like foreshadowing. Uh, it is kind of one of those like movies where... You know, there was a large period of time there, wasn't there, when they would have new movie set in New York after 9-11 where they edited scenes out with the trade yeah. centers in it because they thought it would, you know, it's too soon to show the buildings. And it's the still Spider-Man just... trailer. Yeah, yeah. It's just, I mean, it's, it's. I think t- enough time has passed now where you kind of see it, but it's still a, a case of where you look and go, holy crap, those buildings aren't there anymore, are they? It's like these two giant skyscrapers. Um, yeah, we get, uh, a bit here between the mayor and that. I thought we were going to lay off the candy until after, like, back off, Gene. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, I do like it, though, when they get off the helicopter and all those people are, like, trying to talk to him. And it's like, I don't have time for this, but they're paying contributors. Oh, don't worry, we've got everything under control. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, Jean Renault puts a little bug on his, uh, collar. Uh, you know, I'm here with number one insurance. We are here to help you out to rebuild the city. And then, for some reason, he looks back at him because that's a weird thing. French people wanting to do insurance. I guess they just run away. They wouldn't pay after everything's been done. Um, Harry Shearer won't get let in. Uh, and basically, he's like, oh, don't you watch the news? Um, and then uh, Audrey's got the worst Photoshop job ever. She's gotten some weird little, like, uh, passport photo of herself, which she just happened to have on her. They're on the subway and she's trying to glue it on top of the other press pass, which how the hell does she get away with that? Like anyone can tell that she just sticky tape that photo on top. The name still says Charles Cayman on it. Like I have no idea how she gets away with that moving forward. And were they letting a lot of press into the secret military areas? It's not how it works. Let alone without checking their badges. It's not how it works. Uh, maybe in 1998 it did. This is pre-9-11. Things were a little bit more relaxed yeah. back then in New York. Some of my favourite stuff in this whole movie, though, is when we get here with the French Secret Service in the UPS truck and just the little bickering that they have. And he's like, gives him the donut, no croissant? And he's like, no, no. And yeah. then he gives him the coffee. Oh, you call this coffee? I call this America. <laughs> I thought you said this was French roast. We oui? oh, right here, French roast. <laughs> and like, I didn't. The version I'm watching doesn't didn't have subtitles, and I know there are definitely subtitles in some of these, but you don't need the subtitles. And I think it almost yeah. makes it better without them. It's just these French guys being French. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I don't know if the other actors are actually French actors too, but obviously like Jean Renault is. But I just. <laughs> I just love their little back. This is the first time I'm ever complimenting French people. Um, 
Um, what else have we got here? Uh, just a little, you know, separate scenes where they've, um, the mayor's going off at the army because they don't know where he is and they've evacuated the city in a, an election campaign. There's always one, you know, like a politician, oh, it's an election campaign, like, doesn't care. I wonder if that was what Rudolph Giuliani was like during 9-11, you know, he gets credited for being the hero of the city, but behind the scenes, he's like, no, I need this, I need that. Um... Give me my candy. Give me my candy. Back off, Gene. Uh, <laughs> I do I do like the bit, though, when Gene's like, I don't know what's going on. You never know what's going on. <laughs> uh, they find, basically, that he's been hiding underground because they're finding all these tunnels underneath it. Um, I do like when the colonel basically says, he's like, what he's like, oh, there's 14 tunnels leading off the island, sir. It's like, okay, you must uh, block them all off. Okay, sir. Uh, uh, how? How, sir? <laughs> it's like, you brick them, you concrete them, you blow them up, I don't care! <laughs> Which is funny in the, um, the everything wrong with when he sort of picks apart that. It's like, um, why would concrete stop him? And then later on there's a scene yeah. in the movie when, like, Godzilla's climbing through concrete and the narrator guy in the everything wrong with video is like, there's Godzilla being stopped by that evil concrete again. <laughs> if only the MetLife building had more concrete. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. And then, like, this is a kind of, again, a dumb bit of this movie. We we basically find out the uh, the fish is the draw card for him, right? Like, that's why he went to the dock. That's why he went after that boat. That's why there's tuna cans at that boat when Matthew Project's getting blood from the thing. So we find out here the fish flapping around that, okay, this is a great idea. Let's get a giant pile of fish and we'll draw him out into the open. He swam from French fucking Polynesia to the United States of America in a body of water where fish fucking live, alright? Why does he need dead fish? He can just eat fish in the water and be like the sharks and stuff. Like, it makes no sense. (laughs) He stopped in Jamaica along the way. Quarrel's a fisherman. Quarrel could have gotten so much fish. (laughs) Are you Quarrel? Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) I like people who are friends with people. Uh, and also, like, in this whole setup of the fish situation, the US military, the, the most, you know, the biggest, most powerful military in the world, can be infiltrated by a couple of snooty little French guys in jackets. <laughs> with no, <laughs> nothing, no one catching on to them at all. Um, <laughs> wow. So, they set up this giant pile of fish, basically right in front of the Flatiron building, and to draw out Godzilla, to uh which we we're having a bit of a problem because they have got to remove all the manhole covers and of course as soon as we remove one just below Matthew Broderick that's when Godzilla like tears the ground again this is what he can do he can tear concrete and yet they somehow can't fight him moving around this city uh the reason why there's no more sinkholes in New York City I don't know but uh, we get this big reveal. This is where we finally get to see him in his entirety. He comes out of the ground right in front of Matthew Broderick. Uh, we have him leaning down to give him a sniff because he takes a photo with him with a flash camera. I do like it when he's, like, right in front of him and Matthew Broderick's, like, got the army trying to sneak up there with a gun that he kind of looks at them with his finger and, like, waves his finger like, no. Yes, I do not. <laughs> Don't shoot. Uh, I absolutely love the music. I love the score in this movie. It's David Arnold, isn't it, does this movie as well. So, uh, so good here. And I, I think it was on... um. 
either the Everything Wrong with the Honest trailer, they reckon this line of music is a rip-off of Jurassic Park theme. And you can kind of hear it, but it's not as much as I think they claim. There's a lot more Jurassic Park rip-offs in this movie when we get to Madison Square Garden. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, and just kind of the epic music here as he, you know, stomps his way to the fish and they're all just staring at him. The shock and awe has got even the bit when he kind of walks past the roof and the tail sort of knocks down all the military stuff. It's so good. I just love the way they do it. And then basically they start shooting him and destroy the flat iron building. And look, everyone talks about the Avengers kind of, you know, destroying cities. And when it comes to, you know, Batman v Superman and Man of Steel, the way they destroyed Metropolis and no care for any life and everything. How much of New York City do they destroy in this movie? Because (laughs) they basically destroy every iconic landmark in this entire city. We have this helicopter chase, which they essentially destroy the Chrysler Bill. I do love it when they get there and they shoot the missiles, miss, destroy the Chrysler building. There's just that quiet, and that guy's like, uh, uh, damn, uh, that, that's a negative impact. That's a negative impact. And the man's just like, negative impact. That's a goddamn Chrysler building we're talking about. <laughs> which, again, how does he know that's a Chrysler building? Is he watching this? Is there a camera following this? Like, Their no... radar is in the shape of it. <laughs> yes, exactly. But even when it, like, falls down and you just see this giant spire and there's still people in the street, like, getting crushed. Um, the helic- And is this also the bit, too, where uh, we've got the guys looting the store and it's like, yeah. you, know that, you know that feeling I get when there's something really bad's going to happen? I've got that feeling. <laughs> Godzilla comes through there. He basically destroys all the uh, helicopters. They find out that they can't lock onto him because he's colder than the buildings around him. Um, That's he... how cold-blooded lizards work. I yes. didn't realize. Yes, exactly. There you go. Um, and then I do like that bit. Surely, even if you don't think that dear old Doug's event doesn't have comedy, comedic timing, just the bit between him and Matthew Broderick where it's like, Oh, we did more damage, you know? And w- what did we do? And it's like, well, we fed him. <laughs> oh. I, I love that little scene there. Um, so yeah, maybe I'll just cap it there, but it's, I just, yes, there's a lot of dumb stuff around everything that's happening here. I mean, I, I swear they recycle the same shots of New York City as they're flying the helicopters around and, Yes, there are parts of New York where it's kind of like very tight and twisty like that, but they're kind of implying that all of Manhattan's like that, and it's not. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's still great stuff. And some of the special effects, which I think get a little bit worse as we get along, yeah, they're not the best, they don't hold up. Um, but still, it's I'm entertained, I'm enjoying myself. Uh, just quickly commenting on the destruction of the city... The funniest thing is that you get movies like The Avengers that get so much criticism for just destroying an entire city. The biggest complaint that this movie had was it's not really a Godzilla movie because he doesn't destroy and step on every building (laughs) in the city. Like, people wanted more destruction. Uh, It is a little bit weird to watch this. And it's like you said, you know, they were removing the World Trade Center from things after this, like the Spider-Man movie. Uh, Even the Simpsons episode where he... Uh, goes mm. up to the World Trade Center to go to the bathroom or whatever. Love that episode. That and and there's a I don't know if it was the same there, um, or if it's still this to this day. But uh, I remember seeing that on TV. You know, maybe a year or two after that, and they would put a disclaimer in front of the episode saying 
the the following episode contains images that may be disturbing to some people. I'm like, what are they talking about? Uh, and it says featuring the World Trade Center. So just simply it being in a cartoon like The Simpsons, it, it was felt like, well, you need to warn people this could be disturbing. With this movie, it, it's I, there's a lot of confusion. I, I just wanted to make sure that that actually was that brief clip where you see lightning strike the World Trade Center. I'm like, was it actually World Trade Center? So I forgot that the line was coming up after that where he says, you know, this is the worst act of destruction or whatever since the bombing of the World Trade Center. Um, so I was Googling World Trade Center Godzilla only to find tons of different uh, discussion forums online, articles and everything online that discuss one of two things. Either this movie making an insensitive comment about the World Trade Center and then eventually you will get a person saying you do realize this movie came out three years before 9-11 <laughs> uh, so people maybe this is like 20 years later like if if you made uh, a joke about uh, I don't know Pearl Harbor or um, you know a bombing or a military attack in Hawaii and the movie came out in 1939. Well, we're not going to know that today. So maybe you can. It's like, it's like say making that. a or, joke about the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs not winning the Stanley Cup. So when they win the Stanley Cup this season, it's going to be dated and it doesn't sound funny anymore. That's the, you know, Doug Savant could have pulled off that joke. That just wasn't <laughs> funny. <laughs> wow, that uh, hurts. <laughs> but the other thing you will find are people calling this a conspiracy theory like how did they know that there was going to be an attack on the world trans like they didn't they were referencing something that actually happened like people don't even realize to this day that there was a terrorist bombing mm-hmm. in the world train center like in the the parking garage or whatever 1993 what was it 1992 or 1993 93 yeah and we're just we're we're 20 years removed and nobody gets that this line it's either it's a conspiracy theory or that was insensitive and it was like, al-qaeda well, as well their initial i mean osama bin laden yeah. wanted to attack it before his plan was to blow up the basement of one so the other one would collapse into the other yeah exactly. and it didn't quite work so yeah <laughs> It's just bizarre that, like, 20 years later, people don't check their dates on things or um, they don't know the history or these things happened before. Uh, I just I got a big laugh when I was reading a lot of the comments on that. And then every once in a while you get a person saying, you know, it could just be that this came out in 1998 and 9-11 was three years later. <laughs> haven't realized that. Uh, I love the scene. It's just little moments that Hank Azaria does. And this is why I think he would have made such a great... Uh, comedic actor like uh, you know, movie actor because he's not going over the top he's not trying to steal every single scene and this isn't a criticism I and mean, jim carrey does that really well a guy like eddie murphy can do that really well i would almost consider you know hank Azaria more like a steve martin where he just has ways of delivering lines which is not trying to get attention it's not trying to steal a scene that's so funny like uh when lucy's wife is saying something like audrey's going to be staying with us tonight and he goes oh a threesome that's excellent uh i'm a little tired though (laughs) just just very laid back approach to a hilarious line uh the the action is coming up first the thing with the fish it's also funny because you do see them bringing truckloads of fish and i think the mayor said something like you uh uh took like eight of my city dump trucks like, as if that's going to make a dent. I mean, Winnipeg is a population of you know, 750,000 people. I mean, I probably see seven dump trucks on the way from here to work, and I work five kilometers away. Like, well, they all look the same, though, not- so it's probably just the same one. Yeah, exactly. Everything's the same in Winnipeg. <laughs> but, like, in New York, 
what is New Year's population? Like, what, 10 million? Yeah, around about that, yep. Okay, let's just say, you know, 10 times. Uh, so, for, to take eight dump trucks, I mean, I would be shocked if there were more than, uh, or less than, 30 dump trucks in Winnipeg. So, let's assume there are 300 or more in New York City. Is eight really going to make a dent? Like, why is the mayor worried about this? <laughs> he and loves secondly, his dump trucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's really worried about it. Oh, man. You know, the garbage is just going to be piling up. <laughs> They're dumping fish in the street. Don't worry about the garbage. <laughs> uh, and also, if this is eight dump trucks, I'm sorry, but the amount of fish they put there, it looks like a lot, but it's really not. I mean, this looks like maybe one dump truck's worth. And the fact that this would draw Godzilla out, like, I must have my meal. First of all, he's living in the sewer. It's arguably better than what he's been eating for the last six hours. (laughs) But this, compared to the size of his body, would be like if I were, you know, going and terrorizing a colony of ants. And somehow they lured me away by putting a bowl of Cheerios out. Like, that's the equivalent (laughs) of how much food this is. Eight dump trucks worth of Cheerios. (laughs) (laughs) it's just such a small amount of food the fact that we've got them now guys (laughs) cheerios are out um and yeah it's it's just the sequence is coming up is so good though uh some of the things are misses in this movie this sequence with the helicopters attacking godzilla and him running through the streets it's not and I know Godzilla fans will be like, well, in a Godzilla movie, he's supposed to be the one destroying everything. This is kind of Godzilla running for his life, but it's such a good sequence. And I was kind of surprised because I always sort of hold this movie as like, yeah, it's like you said at the beginning. And we keep saying it's dumb fun, but this is a really solid action sequence. Like I would put this up there with, you know, the uh, the first um, Air Force assault on the, sh- the, the, the spaceships in Independence Day, the one where Will Smith eventually goes down. Like that's an incredibly exciting sequence, and I'd put this up there. Like it's it's arguably the most exciting sequence of the movie. Uh, I don't think they needed to duplicate it an hour later, like almost exactly shot for shot. But still, it's so good. It would have been nice to see him breathe fire. I think we can agree on that. We'll probably talk about it a little bit on the end. Um, I guess this Godzilla is a little bit one dimensional. It's just sort of it. Here's the funny thing: this Godzilla, it destroys buildings because it's running away from things it's not like in a typical godzilla movie where godzilla is just like i want to punch this building in the face (laughs) godzilla is just pounding on these things or drop kicking a building because he wants to destroy it maybe another thing they could have done is just had godzilla be destructive but i guess this is it's almost like peter jackson's king kong they're trying to make it like a sympathetic character uh the count that i had here is 45 minutes before we see the full body shot of Godzilla here before this sequence. That's a long time in the movie. And I think what's more impressive is that I'm not feeling like this is the shark and jaws. Like the shark and jaws, it's like, well, you saw a fin and you're, you're fascinated by that. I feel like I've seen Godzilla up until this point. And I think Roland Emmerich intentionally showed you, I'm going to show you part of the face. Now I'm going to show you its back. So that you you can at least in your head put together what it looks like before you see everything here. Mm. Uh, one other minor issue I have here, other than the, the the Chrysler building exploding, is basically exact angle timing explosion, probably sound effect and everything. The White House explosion from Independence Day. Uh, but it's the fact that all of the lights are left on in New York City when <laughs> the entire city's been evacuated. 
Like every single building has half of the lights on. And considering they evacuated in daytime, it really just made me scratch my head. And obviously it's there visually for the purpose of you have to see what's going on. But it's just, it seems dumb. There's that much waste of, you know, energy crisis, people. Uh, <laughs> if this was like 1978 or 1979, this would be a much bigger deal. Uh, Scaramanga would have been all over this. It's just, it's <laughs> bizarre that so many people left their lights on for no reason. But uh, the sequence itself is so much fun. Uh, effects will, I think we peaked here in this sequence here. Uh, Matthew yes. Broderick face to face with Godzilla is arguably the best shot you're going to get. Uh, there's some good stuff coming up later on. You know, this sequence here, it's still good, but it's, it's going to be downhill from the effects after this. It's, it's interesting when you're talking about like, you know, we should have had fire breath and things like that. I mean, we kind of get when he roars at some point, like the cars blow up. So it's kind of, oh, was that fire yeah. breath? But I mean, I didn't know enough about Godzilla, about powers and all that sort of stuff that he had to really give a shit about that. And it's kind of like when we get the 2014 one and he's, you know, shooting laser breath into a moth thing and ripping its head off and, you know, all things mm-hmm. like that. Like it's like, okay, that's cool. But I mean, one thing that I think, is is interesting about this iteration is like you kind of care for this creature i feel at the end like when he dies like obviously you've got that bit where it's kind of you know you hear the heart beating and everything and yeah it's it's almost implied purely that this is an animal and that you know it's it's kind of like jurassic park isn't it these are animals you know not just creatures um so i think that's kind of different i mean are, are we ever meant to care for the actual creature of godzilla or godzilla in the japanese films at all or is it just he go oh, i'm gonna kick this skyscraper i'm angry i mean it's interesting you say that because the very first godzilla movie is very different because it is like this it's a creature that comes and destroys a city every other movie after that it's godzilla fighting some other more destructive creature godzilla kind of became a character throughout 30 more movies after that who was the one who was yes he's destructive you know but there's something worse out there so let's let's get it's like let's unleash hannibal lecter on freddy krueger you know Mm. um that's how godzilla was handled but in the original movie and i think this is something else that i can understand fans complaints that it misses you know a movie from 1954 or whatever it was had kind of a smart idea. It's not so much that Godzilla was sympathetic, but I remember the the ending of the movie was something where a scientist had developed this weapon years earlier, which was kind of meant as like a weapon of mass destruction, that if you put it in the water, you could basically kill anything in the water, like any type of uh, sea life or anything like that. And Godzilla was in the ocean at the time, and the only way they could figure out to kill this creature was that they would also have to kill all the other sea life at the same time. And it was played as a very sad scene at the original uh, Godzilla ending. Um, I think you kind of have that maybe misinterpreted here. This Bring up another point if you just want to quickly talk about the, the fact that they make the French the villains of atomic energy here. <laughs> I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, the Americans were the ones that detonated two nuclear warheads in Japan. <laughs> um, and that's kind of what the original Godzilla was. It was supposed to be uh like nuclear fallout or whatever you know this is what happens when you mess with you know radiation and uh nuclear weapons you'll create something like this the movie introduces that but it's it's the americanization of well the americans can't be the bad guys and we know that we're the ones in the asian region that use nuclear warheads but let's just say it was the french polynesian you know obviously <laughs> they did testing stuff too do you ever see master and commander with russell crowe my no. very favorite Russell Crowe movie, one of the greatest movies of all time. Um, In that movie, it's based on a book where it took place 
during um, I think the War of 1812, and it was about a British ship who was doing battle with an American ship. Well, when they made the movie, they had to change it to a French ship because American audiences wouldn't accept that they could be the villains, even though in that movie, the American or French ship was handled much like the shark and jaws. You never see it. Uh, it's just very bizarre that every time it's so obvious that the Americans should be, I'm not even saying like blame America. That's not what this is about, but you're making a movie about nuclear disasters in, you know, uh, the South Pacific or Asia or whatever, and it is not the Americans. Why is the go-to always the French? Master and Commander, Godzilla. The Americans couldn't have done it. It must have been the French. Yeah, there's a reason behind that, but, uh, you know, we've only got a couple <laughs> hours, so uh, <laughs> I don't see why you're saying this is a problem. <laughs> I mean, the French, they deserve to be in that. Um, I'm just thinking of saying all the, it's always the Russians or the Arabs, make it the French. Like, come on. Um, <laughs> the French don't complain. They just run you know, away. They're, they're constantly made the villains. Yeah. <laughs> we created Godzilla. We tried to blow up Russell Crowe's boat. We're the bad guys. We love it. What is this? You are making us the villains? You know what I have to say to that? Nothing. I'm running away. Um, and no croissant? <laughs> I'm moving to Canada. Where I will blend with their English ways and make some weird cross hybrid. Um, we call it Quebecois. What? I have no idea. Oh, wow. French Canadians listening. Um, so we're about halfway through the movie here. You know, it's, it's been a bit dumb at this point, Colin. Like, you know, we're enjoying it. We're, we're, it's great. It's still fun. It's still going to be fun from this point, but let's notch up the dumbness just a little bit more, shall we? <laughs> like, just. <laughs> Again, I love this movie. It's great. I'm going to buy this. I want you all out there to enjoy this film for what it is. But as Colin said and Wes said, it's still kind of dumb because for some reason, after this whole attack, the Chrysler building's gone, you know, like all the helicopters have been blown up. It's a sad time in New York City. But what does Nick think would be the right thing to do right now? Hmm, Go to a corner store and buy some pregnancy kids. (laughs) Because why not? If I didn't have a giant oversized male lizard attacking my city, I'm going to assume it's pregnant too. Um, so How goes, do they know it's male too? Well, it's, it's sexist. It's 1998. Oh, it's a big Is dominant somebody, thing. It must be a male. Somebody going around lifting up the giant lizard's skirts? <laughs> Maybe Godzilla doesn't define itself as a gender. Maybe it's gender fluid. <laughs> like Gender fluid. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I have no this idea. Is the, forget that this is the 1998 Godzilla. This is not the Roland Emmerich Godzilla. It is not the Matthew Broderick Godzilla. This is the gender-fluid Godzilla. That's all be known from this day forward. <laughs> You're welcome. 2018 in this movie, bitch. Um, so, you guys into this corner store. This is, of course, the, the big important scene we've all been waiting for, for Audrey to finally get to chat to Nick. But, like... Can we just establish, again, I, I love Matthew Broderick, but he's really not a good actor sometimes. He goes into no. this drugstore and he's like, do you have any pregnancy tests? Ones that are coherent in the following formulas, like just starts burning <laughs> out all these chemicals. This woman's just like, uh, this is all we've got. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's almost like the same joke. We'll have lots of Simpsons references here. Um, the, uh, the, 
the one where Lisa was a vegetarian or whatever. And then, uh, it's like, uh, do you, uh, have, uh, any vegetarian thing? Is there anything that, that this menu that does not have meat in it? Possibly the meatloaf. And then it's like, <laughs> 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 uh, I think you're obligated to include one, uh, uh vegetarian thing on there. She dumps the hot dog out of the bun. Here you go. It's full of bunly goodness. <laughs> Uh, it's just so bad. It's $48 for three. Like, Jesus, this woman's bump up her prices due to disaster. What's that in 2018 dollars? Like, why is this woman still open? She's so calm. I wouldn't spend $48 today on pregnancy tests if Jamie's pregnant, let alone whatever that is in 2018 dollars. I've, I've never had to buy one, so I don't know how much they cost. It's like, I didn't expect to be that much. But, of course, this is where, like, Audrey comes in and, you know, he starts like, oh, you know, hi, oh, it's been so long. Um, And then as they're walking out of the store, the way kind of like, you know, she's like, oh, you still seem mad. And he's like, well, you know, I haven't heard from you in, like, eight years. You didn't call. You just left. Like, fair enough. I'd be angry, too. And then she's just like, oh, okay, then. Walks off and he's just like, Audrey, can I make you a cup of tea? Like, I again, I'm not down on Maria Patillo or this Audrey character as much as everyone else is, but she's kind of the worst. Like, I mean, she treats Nick like shit, comes back into his life to steal his tape, gets him fired, and for some reason he still gets up with her in the end. <laughs> like, what is it's going on It's not her. Here? It's the devil on her shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> Hank Azaria. We uh, have this scene, I guess, when we're in Nick's little lair. I don't know what it is. And he's gone from being an anti-nuke activist to working for the Nuclear Regular Committee. I wonder if, like, Nick Totopoulos also worked with Dr. Christmas Jones. Because they feel like... Don't you feel like they both would have come from the same area of the Nuclear <laughs> Regulatory Committee? Like a year removed. <laughs> like, I want to just put that out there right now. The world of Not Enough and Godzilla are in the same movie universe. <laughs> Because they just... It feels right, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, Christmas Jones! Yeah, she was in my, you know, she was in my class, you know. <laughs> my lab Def- partner. <laughs> Diffusing bombs on a moving train in a pipe. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure she'll find that coming in handy. Like, I want to see them at, like, their college reunion in a few years. Like, so what are you in nowadays? Like, well, I diffuse bombs. Uh, it's like, what about you? I'm a warm guy. <laughs> Mostly. I'm totally banging this hot blonde chick, though. Yeah, I'm banging a totally hot British Secret Service agent. Yeah. He's like, like, I got two words for you, Maria Patillo. And she's like, Pierce Brosnan. He's like, I bow to you. (laughs) I wonder what the Kevin Bacon number is between Matthew Broderick and Pierce Brosnan. (laughs) I'm Googling that right now. Doug Savants. Doug Savant is Kevin Bacon's brother, didn't you know? Uh, <laughs> Matthew Broderick. <laughs> I need to know this now. Wait a second. Michael Lerner in X-Men Days of Future Past. <laughs> Kevin Bacon in X-Men First Class. Right. Okay. Well, I've got Pierce Brosnan. I don't know how she does it. With Victor Franco, who was in Manchester by the Sea with Matthew Broderick. <laughs> <laughs> What did you say, Doug Savant to Kevin Bacon? (laughs) 
Well, I've already done it through Michael Lerner. Oh, and you just Hugh did Jackman. that one. I, I do. I do listen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> although I also have Kevin Bacon in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles with Chino Fats Williams, who was in Swing Shift with Doug Savant. <laughs> what, what was that name again? Uh, Chino Fats Williams. Oh, the star of that film. Yes. <laughs> Underrated. Should have won an Oscar for it. <laughs> Honorary one. <laughs> Get one one day. Uh, but yes, yeah, so throughout this the conversation... World, the world of this, these connections here. Academy Award nominee, Michael Lerner and Chino Fat Williams. <laughs> Can we get Matthew Broderick's name in there? Seriously. Chino Fat Williams and Michael Lerner got Oscar nominations. Where's Matthew Broderick's? <laughs> yes, for this scene alone. Um... He, he, when he's like testing that he's pregnant, he's like, he's got that like beaker with yellow liquid in it. Is that Godzilla's piss or is that just some sort of chemical? I think he, he got it because they say later on he obtained some of the creature's blood. That's what she mm. says in her news report. Yeah. Cause I was thinking like, at what point did Godzilla Not take the a blood whiz? is yellow, but I'm guessing he mixed <laughs> it with some type of chemical extraction yeah. thing. But we find out that he's pregnant. Uh, a very unusual he, uh, and that he reproduces asexually, to which, of course, we get which the, he's where's surprised the fun about? in that? <laughs> That's a great line. Let's give it to her for that one. Yeah, yeah. Which, I mean, isn't that a line in, no, is there a line in Jurassic Park with that? Or is it? No. No. Where's, where, there's definitely something, a line <laughs> in some movie about that. It's a similar line in another movie. Well, I think you're just you're, you're um, making the comparison to the fact that it's like they they produce on their own, or they change they change sex in the single sex environment, whereas in this mm. they produce asexually. It basically is the same idea. Yeah, God, bloody Godzilla ripping off Jurassic Park again, um, and so he's got to rush did off. Bunny and- first. <laughs> He's got to rush off to the lab to check this. I'll be right back. So, again, you just left this woman in your tent that, you you know, broke your heart and left you while you've got top-secret videotapes sitting around on your desk to which she puts it in and, you know, looks at it and goes like, oh, should I steal this or not? Now, at what point is this exactly... I mean, I guess, you know, she's got, oh, this is the origin of the species. But all it is is footage of giant footprints and, you know, who holes in boats. We've got the Chrysler building laying on the streets of Manhattan. We've got, you know, all this other damage. Millions of people have probably been killed in this destruction, but all people watching the 6 o'clock news want to know is, where was the footprint? Oh, I was in Panama, was it? Oh, we had a holiday okay. before he came to New York. Good theme. But they've got, you know, crazy Japanese man going, Gojira. That's all the proof <laughs> they need. Um, she also, you know, is trying to think about things because she sees the photos of them as well. Like, oh, what will she do? But of course she steals the tape. I mean, at the end of the day, she's only doing a job. Good on you, Audrey. <laughs> You're the worst. But still, <laughs> um, we have a bit of a shot here of the helicopter searching the city. Uh, we've got these two guys down in the tunnel trying to find him and they don't see a giant piece of, like, skin or flesh. That, oh, no, that's just what the New York City subway looks like before the eye opens up. And now, can I just put out a massive mistake here, among many things of the dumbness of this scene, is when he turns around and goes, oh, there's nothing here, the guy who's with him is facing the him. Yes. And he doesn't <laughs> turn around. He sees that eye. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> He sees it right then and there. Um, Audrey gets the tape uh, edited, gives it to the producer. Oh, I've got exclusive uh, of places this thing has uh, attacked before. 
Uh, we've got the French listening in at the same time. Nick's telling the army that it could have laid up to a dozen eggs and each of them are born pregnant. Uh, we've got the French people looking through his file, like, who is this guy? And they're like, oh, they call him the worm guy. I don't need subtitles to know, remember that scene, that that's what it says. Um, and then basically we've got Audrey and Hank Azaria all excited. They're going to see her big break on the news because she's reported on this one with a terrible line when she said, like, all the king's horses and all the king's men could not put New York City back together oh, again. Yeah. Like, what? No wonder <laughs> she's never been given her shot. She's an awful reporter. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but Harry Shearer has stolen it. And we see the footage and uh, he pronounces it, Godzilla, that's what they call him. And he's like, it's Godzilla, you moron. Uh, I did kind of like that, though. That's kind of funny, the way they sort of play that into it. Um, and they name Dr. Nick Totopoulos by name, so he essentially gets fired when they're watching this news report. Um, and we see Jean Renault hears him getting fired, so he's going to go kidnap Nick. Audrey comes out to him and apologizes. I'm a failure. I had to do it to make it. And he's all like, no, boo-hoo, I'm going to the airport. Very bad acting, but still it's raining, so <laughs> sure. Um, and Hank Azaria decides to follow him in the taxi, which, of course, is Jean Renault. He's kidnapped Matthew Broderick. And essentially we get taken back to the... Uh, French lair, and we find out that the French Secret Service, they feel responsible, as they should, for creating this monstrosity that is Godzilla, and that they want to sneak back into the city to find the eggs as well. Um, I do like that line, though, from Matthew Project when he's like, I've always wanted to join the French Foreign Legion. Um, and then, is that the most Frenchiest part of the whole movie, when he's all like, bravo, bienvenue? <laughs> like, yeah, got- it's just the only three words that they know Americans will know about <laughs> French. Bravo! Excellent! <laughs> Formidable! <laughs> Sacre bleu! Um, <laughs> so yes, we're now, I guess, sitting up with the dumbness that is that Godzilla's pregnant. Let's just put that out there a few more times. Uh, the, the, the pregnancy thing, oh, I, I don't know, there's, there's so many problems with this. Okay, so, Godzilla, let's say, what, what, what speed do you think Godzilla you know, travel. Godzilla is probably faster than the submarines at the end. Um, they say that Godzilla came here to nest later on. She came or he came or whatever to lay these eggs. Really came from the French Polynesian islands <laughs> to Jamaica, to New York city, this entire time pregnant, just in time to lay all of these eggs which, by the way, which we're going to find out in a few minutes, is approximately 30,000 eggs that Godzilla is carrying inside of him during all these chase scenes and never shrinks in size. Like, I'm pretty sure that there'd be at least a little bit of a bloated belly if this was the case. Uh, but just the idea that he... this it's, It goes right back to the... Um, I think it's from radiation. What? Like... <laughs> He buys pregnancy tests because he believes this thing is pregnant. And then when he's like, he's pregnant. What an unusual he. <laughs> you bought the pregnancy test because you assumed – not only did you assume this was likely, you thought after this giant creature just destroyed the city, the most pertinent thing for you to do <laughs> with your time is test to see if he is pregnant. Why is he surprised at this? Uh, but I do have to give it to Maria Patillo. That that line where where she's like, "Where's the fun in that?" She's what makes that funny. Uh, this might be a controversial comment, and I'm not saying they're acting as a whole. I mean, Matthew Broderick 
comedy is one of his things. You know, not just Ferris Bueller, but you look like Election. I mean, he's brilliant in Election. Um, but in Gadget? this movie, Inspector Gadget, yeah, I, there's another guilty pleasure. I mean, that was one of my favorite shows as a kid. So uh, when you I made Matthew that Potter, movie. <laughs> oh, it's a great movie. I, I would replace the villain in it, but <laughs> otherwise, Aww. great movie. Rupert Everett. Uh, did you ever see the cartoon, though? Yeah, yeah, I grew up in the cartoon. Yeah, it's it's the wrong choice for the villain. But anyway, Michelle Trachtenberg. Uh, mm. <laughs> Sorry, especially at that age, right, Ben? <laughs> nah, too old. I prefer Harriet the Spy. <laughs> uh, where was I going with this? Oh yeah, but I would I would make the argument that even though it's maybe few and far between, Maria Patil probably makes me laugh more in this movie than Matthew Broderick does. Because there's just there's something off. I think there's good moments with him. Uh, I think he's the type of character you do want to root for. I do feel bad for him at moments where I probably shouldn't feel bad for him, like when he gets fired later on, which really was completely his fault. <laughs> he lets her in to the tent. He shows her all of this stuff. He tells her it's not the tape that was released that they had a problem with. It was the fact that she had all of this information that he hadn't even shared with them. So he's like, I'm not even going to share this with the U.S. government yet who is paying me. And I'm on a worm guy salary, so I need this paycheck. I'm going to tell you first. And I know that you're press. It's completely his fault, but you still feel bad for him. But when it comes to the comedy, when she has like that, you know, where's the fun in that line? Like, it's funny. And she has funny moments throughout the course of this movie. So she's not all bad. You know, overall, he's definitely better than she is. But comedy-wise, she's no Harry Shearer. She's no Hank Azaria. She's no Lucy. Um, but I'd put her above... Matthew Broderick, at least, in the terms... Really, if you think about it, of all the main characters, Matthew Broderick's the one that, that gets the least laughs in this movie. And I don't think they don't try. He has a lot of lines like uh, where they're trying to get a laugh. And maybe one of the ones that does work in this scene where she's asking, like, how close did you get? And he's like, yeah, pretty close. <laughs> and I remember that used to always play in the TV spots in the trailers right after they would cut to the shot of it basically, you know, throwing up in his face and then cut back to it. He's like, yeah, I got pretty close. Uh but it's still a fun scene, and I think that these two do, in as much as you can in a movie like this, I think they do play pretty well off. They have decent chemistry. I buy them as they were a couple. I don't really buy the way the story presents them getting back together. Uh, maybe because they never properly explain why she left him in the first place. But I think that they're decent together. Um same can be said for Jean Reno. I mean, Jean Reno and Matthew Broderick probably have more chemistry than Maria Patillo do. There's a love story we need to see. Uh, but but still, I think we, we've kind of been saying this. The cast is overlooked in this movie. It's a decent cast. Uh, the tape, though, here's the biggest problem, maybe with the entire movie. What is this tape? It is hmm. approximately 15 seconds long and combines two shots. A shot of the Gojira thing, which... You have to assume was the French who took that video because it was their guy doing the interrogation and a shot of the U.S. Army. So at what point in the last 24 hours did they combine one shot of a French interrogation video with one shot or two shots of American military footage? What is the purpose of this tape? It does not make sense in this movie. I mean, you're a journalist. You tell me. It provides background information i mean i mean like legitimately if this happened right now if a freaking giant lizard dinosaur thing attacked new york city there would be like where did it come from you know and i guess when you receive exclusives it's 
you know, like if there's a a shooting and they want to know like, oh, who is this kid? And then all of a sudden they find a video from 2007 with him with a Nazi flag, you know, automatically he's a Nazi. So Would they have edited it into only 15 seconds of footage, including three separate (laughs) events? I, I, probably not, but maybe the rest of the footage. I mean, you saw the, how videotapes reacted to a bit of seismic shifting. I mean, that's that's all they had in 1998. They couldn't have longer than 15 and seconds. To add to this, why does the U.S. military 15-second videotape include footage from the French Secret Service? Because <laughs> at no point do they get this footage or even know that the French Secret Service is involved here, yet that's in the footage. It's just... It's, it's well, isn't lazy, that the tape that he right? brings him earlier when he's like, oh, the French have released the tape? Isn't that what they get earlier, though? But why would the French... Like, they're the Secret Service, and at no point are they revealing themselves. Nothing in this movie... If they, if that is what it's alluding to, nothing in this movie would lead you to believe that they would have released that for any reason. Why would they have? They're, they're running they're the on French, secretly... They just to- give up and turn over, and here, here you go. <laughs> Like, hey, John Renault's the real hero of this movie. He's the star of this film, as we say. Um, here's a, here's another problem with Audrey. Like, Audrey, first of all, it is completely Nick's fault because he let her in there. But she could have very easily made this story without mentioning him by name. Yeah. Because this has just been an anonymous source. Everybody's got a copy of this tape. I mean, the French released it. Of course, everybody has a copy of this 15-second tape. Uh, she did not need to say, Dr. Nick Totopoulos, the only person who mentions his name, right, by the way, the entire movie, uh, would have right there, they just all got upset that it said, it's Tatopoulos, come on, get your facts right. Uh, just a bit of a sidebar here. Do uh, you know where the name Tatopoulos came from or why Roland Emmerich made his name so unusual? Uh it's Greek. Uh, he liked um, Suvlaki. No, the, I don't uh, know. The production <laughs> designer, I think it's a production designer um, for all these movies, or like the, the effects designer, is named Patrick Totopoulos. And he's since got on to become a director, too. He made one of the Underworld movies and everything. But he was Roland Emmerich's guy for like Stargate and Independence Day and this. And he just decided to name the character after him. Um, but this is a guy you have to see. Now, there's a TV show. Uh, I don't know. I mentioned on other podcasts, uh, but uh, it's called Face Off. Have you ever heard of it? Yeah, doesn't it have uh, John Travolta and um, you know Nicholas Cage in it? I think I might <laughs> yeah, have seen that movie. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but the, the the TV show Face Off. It's basically like a competition show of um, uh, movie effects artists. So. Every single week, they each are given, okay, this week you need to make a, you know, a Godzilla-style creature. Or the next week, you need to make a scary clown, like, you know, Pennywise. And they have to design movie makeups and apply it and paint it. And then they're rated on that and people are eliminated every week. It's an incredible show. Um, but the the original three seasons of the show had three judges, all who were like movie effects or makeup people. And Patrick Totopoulos was one of the original three judges on there. And I swear, if you think Arnold Schwarzenegger has a ridiculous accent, <laughs> this guy for three seasons was put on TV with subtitles half the time, and you still <laughs> couldn't understand a word he was saying. He's one of the most interesting people. Imagine t- Tommy Wiseau crossed with Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm totally going to send you a clip Aww. of this over. Everybody owes it to themselves to look up a clip of Patrick Totopoulos trying to talk. 
I, I, I uh, just want to, I'm just thinking of a buddy cop film now starring, uh, Tommy Wiseau and Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Directed by. Oh, Tom hi, Tom. Arnold. What are you talking about? Get to the chopper. <laughs> Funny story, Arnold. <laughs> oh, hi, doggy. <laughs> oh, the word. It's not a doggy. <laughs> <laughs> to dog or not to dog. Not to dog. <laughs> I'll be back. You're my best friend. You're tearing me apart, Arnold. Let's do our room part. Can we just... We've talked about this, about doing, like, not just a revisit, but maybe even doing an entire month on the road. <laughs> just making it work. <laughs> Anyways, I'm going to send you a clip, and everybody just owes itself to look up Patrick Totopoulos as a judge on Face Off. Um, but, uh, yeah, she just mentions my name, which is kind of a dick thing to do. Uh and then when they say the, the army is not going to be looking for the nest, <laughs> like, why? Exactly. What they else are they doing? Not... <laughs> he didn't get fired because he has these outlandish theories or anything. They're like, no, no, there's just one of them out there. There's nowhere we're going to buy this. Um, but I do I do love when Matthew Broderick joins the French Foreign Legion, as you say, just joining these two great you know 90s actors together. Uh, and, and of course, like, I, I noticed the exact same thing, just the most stereotypical responses any Frenchman would have. I, I, I'm just excited to get to the next scene where they, where they're in Elvis all of a sudden. Let's just get there. <laughs> One thing I just want to quickly ask, though, is, I mean, the, the overall look of Godzilla gets a lot of criticism. Um, yeah. I mean, one the honest trailer I think refers to him as a Jay Leno chin box headed <laughs> something or other else. <laughs> I see the Jay Leno chin now actually as soon as I say that. Um, I think Stan Winston was attached at one point, and they there's a photo on the Wikipedia page of kind of the the model that they came up with, which looks a lot more like the Japanese Godzilla. Um, yeah. but I, I mean, it, it is its unique looking creature and that it really looks absolutely nothing like the Japanese Godzilla at any point. That's essentially, you know, when we'll probably discuss this a little bit at the end, uh, you know, the Japanese completely disowned this and they ended up just calling this Zilla. So, uh, I mean, what's your viewpoint on just how this creature looks? Um, I mean, again, considering since this has come out, and it was it was years later, like it was probably seven, eight years after this movie came out when uh, uh, one of the, the networks here, CBC on Saturday nights, we, for our hockey night in Canada is basically Saturday nights, two back-to-back hockey games. And then as soon as the second hockey game was over, they would air a Godzilla movie. I spent an entire summer watching these Godzilla movies. Now that I've seen all of those, I definitely have more problems with the creature's design just because... I don't feel it's movie monster enough. It's very similar like King Kong. Like a, a good comparison would be the original King Kong, like 1932, 1933 King Kong. He looked like a movie monster. And Peter Jackson's, he looked like a 30 foot tall ape. And it's almost <laughs> too literal of the mutated creature thing in this movie. When Godzilla does stand up, though, I think it looks incredible. I love Godzilla walking. I just don't love the crawling lizard salamander Godzilla. That's when it's just, it, it's too literal of a look of a lizard. 
I do like that shot of him when he's, uh, and I'm assuming it's the Chrysler building missing the top when he jumps up on that building and he's like screaming yeah. like, and that, that, like, that's really cool. And I, I love the sound. I love the, mm-hmm. the sort of the scream that they have of, of Give the us creature. One. The, yeah, it's, it's really good. Um, do it. Do it. Give us one. Give us um, a scream. <laughs> That's where I just get lazy and insert a sound effect and you go, oh, that sounds amazing, Ben. (laughs) 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 That just sounded like, um, what's the name for a Mission Impossible getting away from That's what I was going to say. We've just lost our listener. <laughs> They've gone. I'm pretty sure that's also the way it sounded when Rossi tried to do the Tim the Tool Man Taylor grunt on Home Improvement two weeks ago. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like Chewbacca's been grabbed by the balls a little bit too tightly there. That's Mama. That's his wife. <laughs> Oh my god, why do we do this? Um, so, Translation, um, soft, chewy. <laughs> <laughs> Better than what you sniff. Um, Nibble, you're chewy. <laughs> I don't like, I don't like these impersonations, they're coarse and rough. Irritating, you get everywhere. <laughs> there we go. We fit it in there somehow. Uh, and <laughs> we're doing well. Arnold Schwarzenegger impression? Check. Tommy Wiseau <laughs> reference? Check. Ridiculous noise? Check. Sand reference? Check. <laughs> no listeners? Check. <laughs> Someone from the Czech Republic? Check. Um. <laughs> That's a terrible joke. Ben, that doesn't date well. Let's move on. Um, so, we're back at Hank Azaria's house, um, where Lucy's invited the entire neighbourhood over. Um, How just, Lucy, seriously? We, we, we barely... I feel like we haven't talked to that much. She's so... She needs to be in this more. Like, she's so good. Who is Can she? Just, <laughs> um, oh, well, we got to find out here. She, Arabella any, Field. What did you just say? Arabella Field. He's in Dante's uh, Don- Peak? Who? Oh, he's a producer. <laughs> what? Um, I don't... <laughs> mostly TV shows. This is, uh, this is, this, I don't know if this is gonna click at all, but I think when we did the Swept Away episode, I made the comment, you know, Elizabeth Banks, who had like a smaller role in that movie, that if she was playing the Madonna character, it would have worked better. I'm gonna make the same argument here. I think if, what's her name? Arabella? Yeah, uh, yep, we'll go with that. <laughs> if she, she's playing Audrey, do you think that she does a better job or that this character's more well-liked or that the, the, the chemistry's better? I think I she would have made so. a better Audrey. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I can see that, yep. I'm actually, I've, I've found her. She is the, like, she, you could not pick that, that she is the chick from Dante's Peak. Like, as in, I mean, outside of Linda Hamilton and the daughter... There's kind of like one main female in Dante's Peak, the one, the woman on the science team. Um, that's her. Like, really? Really? 
they don't look the same, but that's the same person. And that's what, like a year earlier. Yeah. Yeah, probably exactly a year earlier. Oh, I like her even more. I reckon we could get her on the show, but she's not doing much. What do we? She's probably just messaged us. I heard my name being mentioned. It hasn't been done since 1999. What's going she on? Hear a name she just heard like the Godzilla car. But yeah, she's invited everyone in New York over to the house. Meanwhile, Audrey's in a room crying because she's ruined Nick's career, but at the same time, she was just doing a job. But uh, Hank Azaria basically tells her that, hey, he's hooked up with some French guys who are sneaking back into the city. Um, to which then we get this um, cross between... Actually, before I say that, I do like the bit when she's like, oh, I made a mess. And the way Hank Azaria's like, yeah, you really did. <laughs> <laughs> and then when he's trying to escape from the house, like, why don't you go through the front door? I can't let Lucy know. Lucy will hurt me. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but we come back to the French guys getting ready to sneak into the city. They're chewing on chewing gum. What's with all the chewing gum? It makes us look more American. <laughs> they're just all chewing their gum. <laughs> <laughs> and then when they're driving through, oh, it was just a bit, bit of a scene between Audrey and Hank in the subway, you know, looking out for Godzilla. <laughs> Maybe the funniest bit in the whole movie when they're going through the checkpoint. And they're asking questions, and Matthew Broderick's doing all the talking. And it's like, is there something wrong with you? You can't talk? Well, no, sir, I'm just fine. <laughs> well, thank you very much. <laughs> Elvis Bradley movies, he was the king. <laughs> so good. Oh, what, whatever happened to Jean Reno? Is he still acting? I want him back it in more things. Is he in France doing French things? <laughs> like... He's, uh, how old? He's 70 now. Wow. Um, so he was 50 when he made this movie? Yeah. Pretty good looking man. Um, he's, by looking here, I mean, he has been in a lot of French movies. Um, but really, the last big one here that I can see he was in, uh, The Pink Panther 2? <laughs> the Da Vinci Code? Uh, he was a Alex voice in... Cross. I guess that would be the last big one, Alex Cross. I don't even remember him from that movie, though. I don't even know what that movie is. The, the Kiss the Girls, Along Came a Spider, was originally a Morgan Freeman franchise. Oh, did they remake that, did they? Yeah. Oh, Matthew Fox was in it. Jesus, no wonder yeah, it bombed. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Matthew Fox. I have nothing against you, but I mean, Jesus Christ... You've done nothing I mean, since Lost End. It ended. was originally supposed to be Doug Savant, but they needed somebody with some <laughs> box office draw. <laughs> well, wasn't Matthew Fox in one of those Beverly Hills 90210 shows as well? Party uh, of Five. <laughs> party, yeah, one of those ones. They're all the same, aren't they? <laughs> I actually do really like Matthew Fox, but I mean, you know, bus drivers don't, so that's probably why he just doesn't act anymore, so... Uh, <laughs> you can't get a bus to work. You're banned from buses, Matthew. Go back to Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah, we've got a big lead up here, really, to what we're about to find out in Madison Square Garden. So lots of walking through tunnels and, uh, going through subways and Doug Savant setting up more fish in Central Park. 
Um, I do kind of like that scene though, when like he sort of, it's the quietness of the scene when he's kind of looking down at the fish and he's sort of looking up and it's very tense. You're just like, what's going on here? And they're all sort of saying like, don't fire until he's cleared all the buildings. Well, they don't listen to that because then he just runs away. (laughs) Then pretty much every helicopter ever invented decides to chase him through (laughs) New York City. How many helicopters are there? How are they not crashing into each other? It's impossible. Um... Then they, we essentially have this fight in the water between submarines. Pretty hammy special effects going on here. We're starting to yeah. lose the, uh, the special effects budget at this point. Uh, we have a big submarine fight here where one of them gets blown up before they hit him as he's climbing up the river and they reckon he's dead. Of course they do. And can I just, when he jumps into the water, there's hardly any splash. This guy is like, He's Godzilla. There should be some sort of tsunami happening. I make a bigger splash than that when I jump in the water. Um, and what is with that guy on the submarine when he's counting down like eight seconds to impact? He's got like the oldest stopwatch in the world. It's like he's gotten it from his grandfather from WW2 or something like that. Like, why? Um, everyone's celebrating. They think Godzilla's dead. We sort of see this like floating body to be like, oh no, he's dead. So what's going to happen for the last like half an hour of this movie? Um, and as we get to Madison Square Garden, the world's most famous arena, maybe one of my most favorite lines of the entire movie is when Hank is there. Oh man, they trashed the garden. Now I'm yeah. pissed. <laughs> <laughs> And, like, I don't know how they film this. I don't know if they actually filmed any of this in Madison Square Garden, but I've been to Madison Square Garden a couple of times, and it's pretty accurate in terms of sort of, like, the signage and the seating and all that sort of stuff. So I'm assuming that they had to film some of it within Madison Square Garden. Uh, and this is where they find the eggs. Initially, we think there's only three, but then we find that basically the entire arena is covered in them. Now... I'm not one for knowing how animals generally lay eggs. I assume they just kind of like, you know, squat a little bit and pop one out. Freaking Godzilla here is just kind of just going like, <laughs> and sprayed them all <laughs> over this damn building. They're like, how does that work? And how if he's standing up, you know, popping out a couple of eggs in the bleachers, has he not popped a hole in the roof of Madison Square Garden? Yeah. Like, or crushing the, the, the seats? <laughs> yes. He's the most carefully pregnant dinosaur hybrid lizard thing ever. I mean, he's got a hole in the MetLife building, but somehow Madison Square Garden's barely scratched. Um, maybe I'll just... I don't know if you want to add anything on those few scenes there, because maybe I'll just kind of lump all of Madison Square Garden into one bit. But uh, yeah, before you- we get into the... Uh, hmm, the Madison Square Garden sequence, <laughs> Jurassic Park version, lots of bad special effects... Uh, anything to sort of add on what we've just had in the middle bits there? Um, uh, let's see here. Uh, oh, so, so Lucy's house here with everybody staying over. It's like mm-hmm. the entire neighborhood is there, but like, did they evacuate their neighborhood and not Lucy's house? Cause she seems to have the only house open for business here. Like I could understand if this was like, you know, Oh, if they left an explanation here, it's like, oh, all these people from Manhattan came to stay with us. But this is like the only house that's open, which just didn't make sense. And again, I, I just love that he is sent in there. It's like, this is your doing. Meanwhile, every single scene leading up to this is just Lucy saying like, do it. Do it, Audrey. He d- he doesn't deserve this. <laughs> he doesn't deserve you. You steal his tape. What kind of man is he? <laughs> And while you're at it, start some fires. <laughs> and murder some children. 
And while you're out there, go back to Dante's Peak and save Pierce Brosnan. Because <laughs> that's a man. <laughs> See, there's some more connections to Christmas Jones yes. and everything there. Like, you know, when he's in his off time, James Bond goes and tries to, like, stop volcanoes and hangs up with, you know, Sarah Connor. Like, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's had Pierce Brosnan. But Maria Patillo. Look at all the movies. They all look the same. (laughs) That's coming to guilty pleasures month whenever we do it. (laughs) I just want to do Dante's Peak vs. Volcano because I'm, you know, I love both movies, but I'm hashtag team Dante's Peak. That is honestly one of, you talked about one of the early ideas we had was to do like, you know, guilty pleasures specifically so we could do Godzilla 1998. But one of the other ideas we had was let's do a Dante's Peak versus Volcano, a, uh, uh, Lake Placid versus Deep Blue Sea, uh, Deep Impact versus Armageddon. That would be a great, you know, a great month or month and a half, I guess, in that case. I think we, I think we need to do that. That's got to be on the books for 2019. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, or 2018, you know, if yes, we start well, we're still now, got a few we'll, weeks. I don't know if, if we our buyer now, peak we'll month get, is happening. We'll get through the, the first two episodes by the end of the year. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the, the bit with the gum is, is, I think there's two really hilarious moments in this movie that they just absolutely nailed. The first one is Harry Shearer with the chair. Uh, and the second one is this with them all chewing the gums. And they're just saying, it makes us look more American. And he's like, really? Okay. And, and then when they're all just chewing the gum, and <laughs> so, thank you very much. I just love that. And John Renault, I don't know if John Renault has ever smiled in a movie before. Like, it's not like he's a funny guy, but he does well with the comedy here. It is just kind of weird watching this movie. Like, we're talking so little about him. I don't think we realize how little he's in this movie. He just sort of pops in and out. This isn't like, like if you're actually running down screen time, who has the most screen time in this movie? Maybe because he's there during, you know, the final climax, but leading up until this, he's a very minor character. I mean, Kevin Dunn probably has more scenes than John Renault up until this point, but he just, for a guy who was 50 when he made this movie and it only really broken through, a, you know, a few years prior to this, I wouldn't even say that the professional was, a huge hit or anything it sort of developed a a large following over time so let's just say his exposure to american audience at this point was mission impossible also a supporting role Mm. Uh, he has so much presence and at the age of 50 to be in a franchise like this like i think all around it's just kind of interesting watching this movie you commented on how you like that this is the unusual cast that it's not Kurt Russell and James Spader in Stargate. It's not Dolph Lundgren and uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme in Universal Soldier. It's not Will Smith, Bill Pullman, Jeff Goldblum. 1998, let's say, not even say 1998, 2018, to pick Matthew Broderick, Jean Renault, Hank Azaria, Maria Patillo, and this is your blockbuster action team. So unusual. Um, Really, the only other movie I could compare this to, and I felt very similar in 2004 when I saw The Day After Tomorrow. What I loved about The Day Mm. After Tomorrow was that Dennis Quaid, you could buy him as an action star, but it's not like he had ever done anything like that before. Um, It was the teenagers in that movie. The fact is they cast kids who it wasn't like you were like the jock kid or the picked on kid. They just seemed like regular kids. They were kind of nerdy. They weren't like action heroes. They weren't super confident, but they weren't like, you know, total losers. It just in no world prior to the day after tomorrow uh, would any movie or no movie universe would you have your heroes be Jake Gyllenhaal, you know, (laughs) and Dennis Quaid and 
Uh, oh, who's the other guy in that movie? Um, uh, yep. Yeah. <laughs> that <laughs> the other guy. guy. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just. I love when a movie does something different. And this one I'm going to say of all four stars, Jean Renault has the most star power in this movie. It doesn't mm. matter that it's bad material. Like he, he makes the most out of this and he comes across like a real movie star. Kind of like Hank Azaria. If, if this had happened 10 years earlier, I think Jean Renault would have had a Kevin Spacey level career. <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, up until a certain point, let's just say, but I just, I just love Jean Renault. So, we don't really have a lot to talk about with him here because he just sort of pops in and out, but he's just so good. Uh, the submarine attack, I always forget this is even in the movie. Like, I know there's a point where they assume Godzilla's dead, and I I can't even count how many times I've seen this movie. Most of the lines in this movie I can quote as I'm watching it. But when the submarine bit comes up, I'm like, what? What, what happens here? Oh, wait, I think this is where he dies. It's just, it's forgettable. The effects don't work. Um, it's anticlimactic because I think... It's almost an unfair tease to the audience. I don't think the audience at this point was assuming Godzilla would come back because you so quickly – you already know the nest is out there. So the audience is probably jumping to, oh, this is like the Lost World where you get a nice you know, lead up and then they're like, oh, we're just going to kind of have the dinosaur drinking pool water. You know, <laughs> It's just sort of slowly deflating. So when you get to Madison Square Garden here – and you know that there's quite a bit left in the movie. I think it still kind of feels like a letdown. Like I, I, I don't mind the Madison Square Garden stuff. It definitely is a point of the movie that drags and it goes on way too long. But I am just kind of waiting for Godzilla to come back. I mean, let's be honest. Just on effects alone, these baby Godzillas look terrible. Yeah, and look, I'm with you. I don't hate the Madison Square Garden stuff. And like again, I like. I like the stuff at the end of the Lost World, so you and I obviously differed on that very differently. Um, but I, yeah, it, it, there is just something about this though that, like, yeah, it kind of goes on for a little bit, but at the same time, I kind of think it's it's fast paced enough that the only bits that I'm really just like groaning about is how bad these look and that they just yeah. have not aged well at all. Um, and because it, I mean, it is kind of one of these ones where they've done a mixture of sort of, you know puppets and the cgi but even the puppets yeah. look terrible <laughs> like it's mm. not it's not like the puppets look decent at all like it's just everything here looks bad and that's where kind of this is very dated i think is just this whole sequence um but i'm still kind of entertained enough with what's going on and i think yeah. that it's it's kind of just confined to its own space like i mean if they had made all of a sudden these dinosaurs running around the city and like kind of attacking people is a, a different thing but they're just purely confined to madison square garden but at the same time then you've got to think of many plot holes around this like you, there's the bit at the end when they're kind of running down the escalator and you've got them jumping at them there's if you look carefully there's so many of these things that there's no reason why they just shouldn't be eating them um mm -hmm. and how do these none of these creatures like, get out the way that they came in, because it was so open when they were, like, in the subway. So how have none of these creatures actually gotten out? And did that yeah. explosion, like, I know we kind of have the cliffhanger at the end, which we'll get to, but did that explosion actually kill every single one in the building? Like, well, I mean, it's... Can we just say how inept the U.S. Army is in this movie, too? Because they hit Godzilla with a torpedo. The audience sees the body start to sink, at no point do they even look for the body because when Godzilla reappears later, they're like, what? 
<laughs> the first thing you should be doing is like let's send some divers down make sure the body's still there and when they blow up madison square garden like shouldn't they be sending about 16 more missiles in there because you don't even see a building exploded you just sort of see a couple of holes in the wall <laughs> like more than one egg survives this it's very Austin Powers. Like, when they close the door, it's like, what? You're not even going to watch him die? It's like, no, yeah. I'm just going to close the door, leave him there with one inept garden, assume it all went to plan. What? <laughs> but, like, they, I think it's- they say at one point, like, oh, we've got to go find the body. Like, it legitimately is floating down very yeah. slowly. There's two fucking submarines right in front of it. They've already popped open the cigars and gone up to the surface to get their, like, bravery awards and stuff like that. <laughs> Can I also no, ask the question Ugh. about Godzilla lays these eggs? Now, Godzilla's apparently traveled all the way from French Polynesian Islands because he was pregnant, which took, what, weeks, months, probably months to get there, um, lays the eggs. This entire movie in New York takes place of the course of, let's say, a day and a half. So did these eggs just get laid and then hatched two and a half days later? Hmm. Well, I mean, if they're that quick, how quick is this they're going to grow up? Like, is that what they're trying to say? Like, when we get that dramatic video, like, they could replace us as a dominant species on this planet. Now, okay, I get it. We've got, like, 300 little baby Godzillas that are all going to turn into giant Godzillas, and they're each born pregnant. Like, I know the math. Yes, that's going to be pretty bad for the Earth if you've got 300 giant Godzillas destroying, you know, like, Winnipeg and Hobart and stuff. But it's... But you- <laughs> You know what, though? If there was a little girl in Chernobyl that had also been affected by this radiation was 17% larger, right now she would be releasing these Godzillas and be like, they're like me. I can't let them die. <laughs> oh, that stupid little clone. Uh- <laughs> Spoiler What's alert! What's the name? I remember something... Cromwell? I don't know. Um... <laughs> <laughs> yes, we shouldn't spoil Avengers Infinity War, Colin. Yeah. <laughs> uh- <laughs> oh, guess what? Everybody dies at the end of that one, too. <laughs> Look at their faces. They all look the same. <laughs> I don't know why I keep thinking of that scene. <laughs> they turn into dust. <laughs> that movie signifies Kevin Spacey's career. They're so powerful. They're prominent. They just turn into dust and never heard of again. Uh, <laughs> so yes, Madison Square Garden, we've just got this whole sequence. The eggs start hatching. They're chasing him around. So many, like, replicas of Jurassic Park scenes with the raptors. Uh, I don't even think I really need to go through them all. Uh, but we get all the French people are killed except for Jean Renault. Um, we have weird sort of intercuts of, like, the military response about the refugees wanting to be let back into Manhattan. They've been displaced for, like, a day and a half. A day and a half, yes. Lucy's I'm not a refugee, but full. I'm offended. <laughs> <laughs> there are people, like, watching this from Syria and, you know, all these places where there's legitimate refugees. Like, I'm offended. <laughs> um, yes, just... Everybody getting through everything here in Madison Square Garden. One bit I always do like, though, is kind of like when Nick goes in the elevator, closes the door, and he's just like, ah, and then the door's open, and they're all just eating the popcorn, and he's just like, wrong floor. (laughs) (laughs) 
or when they are um, ordering that fall through the roof and um, John Renault like destroys the camera and he's like, hey, what are you doing? And he points the camera and he's like, all right, all right, no cameras. <laughs> Um, but Audrey knows what to do. She knows to go to the broadcast center for the, uh, Rangers because they've got the Rangers games apparently on this channel 12 or whatever it is. And, uh, the producer guy is still just sitting in his truck. And this is where so much of this movie is dated. It's like, but we can't get through on the phones. It's okay. Our network is on an internet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? An internet? Like what's an internet? Not the internet. And internet. Okay. So she jumps on AOL Messenger and shoots a quick little <laughs> message to the producer to which even in the midst of destruction of Manhattan being closed of everything, his first reaction is, there's no Ranger game tonight. <laughs> what are the New York Rangers that tough? They're like, no, it doesn't matter that our city's been destroyed. We will still play the Canucks tonight at Madison Square Garden. <laughs> I just want them to show this scene of a bunch of hockey players showing up to their room whilst there's a bunch of eggs in the room. But I, there's another one of my favourite lines. So when they go into the room, the change room, and Hank is there, he's like, whoa, what? And she's like, ah, what? It's like, this is where, like, the Knicks get showered and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> he is so New York, isn't he? Oh, I love it. I love it so much. Uh, so they talk him into broadcasting this live because they show the camera shot of all the, uh, the eggs. And you mentioned before about like Manhattan's closed down. Why are the lights, why is the power still on? Why is yeah. Madison Square Garden still got power and everything? Um, well, this is our big dramatic reveal here where she goes live on TV. It's Audrey's big break. She's not a very good reporter. <laughs> she just like grabs Nick and shoves him in the frame and interviews him. And, uh, and they basically say that her hair is going to make yes. the difference. <laughs> yes, exactly. We're in disaster zone here. Oh, but I better look good. <laughs> so she's telling everybody to come and blow up Madison Square Garden because of these things. And again, like, there's no, is there any sort of situation here where the army has to be like, okay, well, we better talk about this. Like, what are the pros? What are the cons? The world's most famous arena is filled with these eggs. Fair enough. There's no consultation here. They just send the F-A-18s to blow it up. Like, this could have been a hoax. <laughs> like, it could have been kids with little miniatures and all this sort of stuff. Like, going, yeah, they're filled in Madison Square Garden. And they just blow up Madison Square Garden. Like, New York is different after Godzilla in 1998. Um... They get out of the building eventually. They come down the escalator. That that bit where they go down the escalator is like that's a legitimate part of Madison Square Garden. I've been in that area. Um, and they escape just in time as we see all the poor little baby Godzillas getting burnt up. Um, and just before, uh, you know, we think everything's happy, everything's over. It kind of seems like it's the end of the movie. Audrey and Nick kiss. We get a great bit there with Hank Azaria in terms of Jean Renault. And he's like, so, uh, how you doing? You okay? It's <laughs> just like, I could use a coffee. <laughs> French rolls. Uh, oh, you call these French rolls? More cream. Um, and the big... <laughs> Somehow Godzilla's underneath the Madison Square Garden area again. Oh, there he is. No one's felt him or anything. Uh, he pops up, sticks his head in there, sniffs his little baby, and I swear that baby has shrunk. It was bigger before. Um, and then he looks up at the same time at all four of them, and of course uh, Godzilla's smart enough to blame them all and... We'll get into the final chase sequence of the movie. But yes, that's, I've covered all of Madison Square Garden pretty quickly there. I, I mean, honestly, it's tw- it's got to be 20 minutes of the movie. And 
it goes so long and it's very repetitive. Uh, there is some good stuff in here, but I think I, I broke it up watching because I think I was watching this last night and maybe about halfway through the Madison Square Garden stuff, you know, I went to bed and then uh, woke up early this morning, like at 3.30 in the morning and finished it off. And I swear, it just maybe that made it drag even more, but it's it really does go on forever. Um, and because... I don't know, maybe had the Lost World... I, Jurassic Park's one thing. Jurassic Park being five years prior to this. But I think the Lost World being one year prior to this. And it was so similar, even in terms of like, you know, we're going to get multiple raptors in a raptor sequence. You know, like five, six raptors in one shot. And these baby Godzillas are essentially just raptors. They're the same size and everything. There probably would have been better ways to do this um. Yeah, I, I can't think of a better way to do it. If you want to include baby, I don't know if you needed the baby Godzillas in this Godzilla movie. I think the only reason for them being here was because they wanted to set up for the sequel and they wanted to have some way to surprise the audience when Godzilla will come back later in the movie. Um, some of the shots here, like when the Godzilla starts slipping on the gumballs and the basketballs, it's a little Looney Tunish. <laughs> Um, along with like the popcorn, which it's also funny when he freaks out. He's like, "They're out of fish. They're gonna need to eat something else." Like, this is Madison Square Garden. I'm sure there are hot dogs and popcorn galore. Like, we see them eating popcorn. I never uh, get that bit when he's like, "They've eaten all the fish." Like, that really like means it's it goes nowhere. Like, I don't get that bit at all. And there's also a lot of fish when they're entering Madison Square Garden. They're coming through the subway tunnels. Why is there so much fish in the subway? Like, because <laughs> that haven't you been in New York, Colin? That's just what the subway looks like. <laughs> fish everywhere. It's just, it's just rude people, rats, <laughs> and fish all yeah. over the subways. It's um, like the Simpsons one when you were saying before, when they've all had a good time and Homer hates New York. It's like, I love it, Dad. Can we come back to New York again? And all the rats yeah. is coming in the window. We'll see, Lisa. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want Mountain Dew or crab juice? Ugh! I'll take the crab juice. <laughs> I love that episode. <laughs> hey, what you talking about? Come over here and say, no, you'll come over here and say. Um, I don't really have much else to add on this. I mean, the, the news report thing, it's kind of a clever idea. Um, I do like that this one guy has the power to put them on live broadcast. <laughs> and uh, also just the fact that they end it so quickly. Like, this is an exclusive thing. That once he has put this on the air, guaranteed the network is sitting there saying, we need more, we need more. But they ended yeah. after 60 seconds, you know? And it's basically pleaded like, please kill us. Like, this could have just been a suicidal <laughs> woman who's in the Madison Square Garden. Exactly. Doesn't matter what happens to us. One thing's for sure. I hate the New York Knicks, I hate myself, and I hate Madison Square Garden. Yeah. So kill all of them. Um, It's just... Uh, I don't know. She finally gets her moment as a reporter. She really is a bad reporter. I mean, Jeez. if people are going to criticize her bad acting, it's for this. And also, just going back a little bit, are we supposed to feel bad that she put together this story, which she did by lying and cheating and stealing? Um, it took her maybe an hour to put it together, and we're supposed to feel bad that he stole this story from her. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but... A television reporter, when they appear on camera, they're not sitting there researching, filming, editing, producing their own stories. This mm. is the way it works. Somebody 
takes footage for a story and then they say, okay, we need you to do intros for this and we need you to do this and maybe hold a microphone and interview somebody. He was just doing what he does every single day. That's what every reporter does. And she's she not, basically it's not like she's a junior reporter or a producer. She's an assistant. Like, yeah. And it's, it's said, like, she said, like, I'm trying to get my big break. Like, in what world do you go from being an assistant to a presenter? Like, okay, if you're yeah. attractive, probably. But I'm not attractive, so it's never happened to me, all right? I'm not jealous. <laughs> but, but, like, she's, she's upset that she did the work of a producer and that somehow he's taking the screen. At no point does he say, now, if they'd had his character go, like, I found this exclusive footage or whatever, but he doesn't yeah. do that. He's simply doing what every reporter does. A producer hands them a story, shoots all the footage, does everything, edits it, and then says, do your intro, do your outro. That's it. If this uh, was 2018 and everybody filmed the Godzilla attacks on their camera, they're not going to put to piece, you know, Colin Hilding on his iPhone going like, yeah, I'm exactly. standing here in front of the building because Godzilla <laughs> is attacking. Like, No. I mean, they might. You might be very good, but I don't know. I've never seen you present a new story before. You know, I, I would be on the air because, unlike you, I am good looking. <laughs> you are. That's true. That's very true. You are Winnipeg's Hugh Jackman. But in Winnipeg, we all look the same, so we're all good looking. <laughs> Where's that little kid going to Winnipeg? Look at all their buildings. They all look the same. <laughs> oh, we got to get to Volcano. Let's make it happen. Um,. Yeah, I guess the the uh, the only other thing I want to add here on the world, uh, not the World Trade Center. That's what I want to add. The Madison Square Garden secrets. Uh, no, the, the, for good commentary reason. of September 11 coming soon. <laughs> oh, the building looks so fake. That's a dated so well. <laughs> like when they blew up the Chrysler. Yeah, all those buildings look the same. They just blew up the World Trade Center. There, it's <laughs> the Chrysler Building. Call it. No, they all look the same. Uh, no, not not even to be insensitive. But let's just uh, real comment here. Nobody could have known what was going to happen. You take, uh, you know, the 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 Spider-Man sequence that they filmed in the summer of 2001, which was released in the summer of 2001 as the first teaser trailer for Spider-Man, which was a bunch of people breaking into the World Trade Center with guns, you know, robbing, doing a robbery and Spider-Man coming to save. And that trailer basically got pulled from theaters, you know, two months later and the scene cut from the movie. Mm. That's how sensitive it is. But nobody could have predicted that. Roland Emmerich is sitting here. He's having people run through the Chrysler building or, or, or blow it up. Or, or which one was it that he runs through? Which one does he blow up? I always confuse him. The MetLife he, building he runs through. Yeah, and the Chrysler building he is the one that yeah. the falls down. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and blows up Madison Square Garden. So he, he is taking all these landmarks. It would not have been unusual for any filmmaker, if they were making a giant disaster movie, to say... Like, this is the same guy who sinks the Statue of Liberty, you know, in six years, in the day after tomorrow, uh, and the New York Public Library. It, it would not even be unheard of for a filmmaker who said, let's have Godzilla destroy the World Trade Center, or let's have the babies in the World Trade Center and we have to blow it up. This isn't even saying to be insensitive. Just looking at everything they did in this movie and what any movie would have done. This isn't faulting Roman Emmerich or anything. Can you imagine if they had made that mistake – in 1998, not knowing the future, and this sequence instead of Madison Square Garden, they said, let's place base in the World Trade Center, and you have them mm. destroying the World Trade Center. Would this movie ever be shown again? Never. Oh, like I, they, I mean, not they, at least for, you know, pre-2008. I mean, it was about, it was about that 2006-2008 period where I think they finally kind of started to relax things a little bit, but... Um, 
But yeah, I, I mean, even in- we have three movies in 1998. We have Armageddon and Deep Impact as well that also have scenes of New York getting destroyed as well. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not a good year for New York in 1998. But, I mean, so much of this climax here, especially since it goes on forever, uh, is about Madison Square Garden. And I just, I can't imagine if they had picked this as a World Trade Center as a location, what would have happened? Because nothing else is sacred in this movie. And I'm not faulting the movie. That's the way disaster movies are. It's meant to be that way. It's just, they they, they got really lucky that the only thing they said, we're going to have it struck by lightning, but we're not going to touch the World Trade Center. And maybe had it not been for that earlier bombing, they would have gone that way. It's just Well, maybe it is a case of that, because, I mean, even if you think about Deep Impact and Armageddon, I mean... Even Independence Day, like, it's the Empire State Building that gets blown up. I mean, I think in Deep Impact, you have the shot of the waves going between the uh, World Trade Centers. I think in Independence Day, when you get that shot of the the skyline after the explosion, one of the trade centers is maybe on fire. But, um, I mean, realistically, the 1970s King Kong, he climbed the World Trade Centers instead, didn't he? So, they're really... I mean, they did kind of get very lucky throughout history, I guess, where a lot of these destruction movies never really focused on the World Trade Centers anyway. Mm. But, I mean, your example is perfect, though, because, I mean, hypothetically, and we don't want this to happen, but judging on our luck on these podcasts, this will happen, we'll get the blame, whatever. <laughs> but, like, in five years' time, a terrorist blows up Madison Square Garden. You know, yeah. what's... Then you're going to look back at this movie and go, well, they're being insensitive, or, you know, it's going to date badly. So, you, you, this and- is the thing. You can't know what's going to happen. Audiences from today think that, you know, this was some insensitive thing that they put a joke about the World Trade Center in there. So what are people going to think 20 years from now listening to our podcast? You know, we're sitting there when Hank Azir is like, they trashed the garden. We're like, <laughs> and they're like, those dickheads. How could yes. they? <laughs> oh, God, we're terrible. I mean, we killed Roger Moore, so... Um... <laughs> Our track yeah. record, not so good. <laughs> not so good. So, sorry to all those uh, people at Madison Square Garden in five years' time. And, you know, <laughs> tr- it's going to happen. Like, the Toronto Maple Leafs are about to win the Stanley Cup. There's like yeah. five <laughs> seconds to go on the clock. Four, three, boom! <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry, Leafs. Um, but really, we've just got the conclusion now, and it's all about Godzilla chasing down our beloved four uh, in this taxi. And, like, I I think it's a great action sequence. I mean, some of the special effects are terrible, but, you know, it's and it's a bit unbelievable that this little taxi can outrun this giant lizard, but whatever, it's fun. It's, we're enjoying ourselves. Um, it involves throwing a taxi ID out the window for Sergeant <laughs> O'Neill. Uh, we, we do get a terribly cheesy line, though, there from my beloved Doug Savant when he's on the radio. He's back, sir! Godzilla is back! <laughs> it just it's terrible uh and then uh Matthew Broderick comes up with the idea to go to a suspension bridge so he'll get tangled so I do like when they're arguing in the car about like take Broadway take this way no you can't take this way not this time of day um, but uh on the everything wrong with video they point out that the Brooklyn Bridge is not the closest bridge to where they are so they're like yeah. where's the nearest suspension Brooklyn Bridge and so on the everything wrong with they actually pull out a map and go they're currently located here these two are actually closer to them than the brooklyn bridge um but they drive all the way to the brooklyn bridge which is not the closest bridge poor old godzilla gets tangled in it there's a weird moment where he somehow gets ahead of them and they end up in his mouth and he doesn't like going to the dentist godzilla because he gets electrocuted under his you know tooth cavity um and they somehow manage to not get crushed in this taxi they survive that um 
He gets tangled in the suspension bridge. The F-18s have just blown up Madison Square Garden. They're just going to blow up the Brooklyn Bridge, because why not? Um, and then he collapses in the dramatic death sequence, almost as dramatic as Tommy Wiseau in the room. Um, <laughs> and then we kind of, it's a bit of a sad moment when he dies. Like we kind of got dead silence. Yeah. We can hear his heart beating and then it just stops and the way his eye sort of closes over. And it's a nice little moment between Matthew Broderick and Godzilla as Godzilla <laughs> dies. Nice um, I thought it's so sweet. Um, and then everybody starts celebrating. Um, the mayor gets his assistant quitting uh lucy's gonna kill him that's my husband i'm gonna kill him i'm gonna kill him <laughs> um our beloved redhead who we've forgotten about even in this movie kisses the guy with the cold who we've also forgotten is in the movie uh jean reno leaves he steals the tape and kind of as you said i like the mystery as well that they sort of end him as he walks off um and how should they end this movie by ending it on a massive cliffhanger where we cut back to Madison Square Garden and one egg has survived, something has survived, and baby Godzilla <laughs> crushes out of the egg and then we end with some Puff Daddy to end it with... Oh, I, lo- I always watch the credits from start to finish just because yeah. I love the fact that we've got Come With Me followed by... Uh, is it the Goo Goo Dolls or whoever it is doing the uh, David Bowie version? Wallflowers. Of Wallflowers. Yeah, they all sound the same in the late 90s. Um, they're all from Winnipeg. Um, <laughs> but, like... I, I actually have always liked the ending and even the fact that, cause all the actors were signed on, I think, to about three of these films. So they expected yeah. this to be a huge hit. They were going to do two more of these. So of course that's how they ended. Obviously we're going to talk about that. That never happened. But even, you know, in retrospect, I think it's kind of just one of those open ended moments where it's kind of like, Hey, I like how that ends. Mm-hmm. And knowing that we're never going to get a sequel to this movie, it's still kind of just, it works. Like I don't hate the way they end this movie. Um, and I'm kind of almost weirdly glad that we never got a sequel because what would have they done? Like baby Godzilla is playing for the Rangers. Like it's like in incognito. It's like mission impossible Scooby-Doo with the masks. I would have gotten away for it. See, if it wasn't for that <laughs> mumbling Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I like the ending. I think it just works, but I, I love this closing action sequence uh, despite a few little flaws here and there, but, uh, you know, whether or not you're overall hugely sold on the Madison Square Garden stuff, I think it kind of, it, it ends well. And I think it's, yeah. this is where I find there's a good balance to it. Whereas like, yeah, it kind of goes on a little bit, but it comes back to a good ending. And I, I think it works. And that's why I like this movie because it's dumb. It's entertaining, but I enjoy it. And now I just want to listen to Puff Daddy or P Diddy or whatever he's called this week. You just described all our listeners, you know, why they listen to us. You know, we're dumb, we're entertaining, and when they're finished with us, they want to listen to Puff Daddy. Um, yes. <laughs> it's a Saturday but, night for an Oz Network listener. <laughs> um, one thing that I just find hilarious in this is that cab ID moment, because first of all, Sergeant O'Neill here is nowhere near smart enough to have picked up on this, especially since when Nick is driving by o'neill's not even looking at him nor does nick throw it in a way where anybody could see what he does this entire street is destroyed it's just filled with glass and you know uh, distorted cars and rubble and one cab id card he's instantly like look it came from the cab (laughs) i know exactly what to do it's just complete. Uh, one of the many reasons I hate O'Neill. O'Neill really is the worst in this movie. Like seriously, no, I can't stand O'Neill. Uh, uh, some funny Hashtag moments. Justice like- for O'Neill. <laughs> 
Uh, he's just uh, – it just makes no sense to me. Really, if we said we weren't going to you know, sugarcoat this. We were going to admit that what parts of this movie were dumb. And just the entire premise that Godzilla finds this building is right now. Godzilla has been running from these jets that are blowing things up the entire movie. This is a smart creature. When it sees a destroyed garden and it sees four people standing there, really is it thinking these four people somehow destroyed this building and killed all the babies? Also, Godzilla hasn't like there are thirty thousand eggs apparently there, and he he <laughs> barely even looks at one dead corpse. I mean, that He's thing could have clearly. <laughs> it could have been a stillborn, you know, Godzilla or something like that. <laughs> There's many explanations for it. It's well, we're analyzing a little bit too much more than Godzilla's <laughs> motivation, but then it's just chasing the cab again. There are jets everywhere, and it's like I need to get this cab. Uh, but I love the cab chase, especially the moment when they do get blocked in the tunnel and Godzilla's first clawing in there and they're backing up a little bit. And then Godzilla's entire snouts in there trying to bite and they end up in the mouth. It is a little bit stupid where they just shock it with the electrical cable uh, in the tooth. <laughs> uh, like Godzilla is just suddenly like Ooh, a bit of a toothache there. Uh <laughs> <laughs> this thing's been shot with jets and not blinked, and then a little shock to the tooth is going to make it spit everything out. Uh, the suspension bridge, I, I would have even gone further with that. I would have made that sequence last even longer. How this suspension bridge... Now, I'm not an engineer, but I do know that a suspension bridge works because the suspension itself is holding the bridge up. So when Godzilla is caught in the suspension and all the suspension cables are torn down, should that bridge be standing anymore? <laughs> like, no. It, it, it is physically impossible for this thing to be... That's like the chandeliers earlier on. Jean Reno shoots whatever the cable is holding on the chandeliers, so they fall. Now, if he shot that thing and it just levitated in the air on its own, that is the same physics to explain how Godzilla is on a wobbly suspension bridge after the suspension has already been torn down. Uh, but it is a fun sequence. Uh, I, I love all the bickering back and forth in the cab. Oh, no, take this street, take this street. Uh, I also love that when they're looking for a map, the only thing they find is a subway map. Like, just the idea that every cab would have a subway map I mean, that's kind of like, I don't know, uh, you, you pick up your bus schedule on the airplane or something like that. Like, it's oh, two completely you? different. What's that? Don't you? I, I do that all the time. Yeah, you, you also book your flights uh, you know, on a boat trip or a ferry ride. <laughs> it's just <laughs> different forms of uh, commuting. Um, you can't really... <laughs> it, it, I, there's a lot of really funny things in this movie. Some things that are funny, dumb. Some things that are intentionally funny. Uh, when the just overall when the action works in this movie it does work really well uh and i think as much as i i, I praise that earlier sequence with uh all the the uh jets and helicopters chasing godzilla in the streets um i think this one's a more fun sequence and it's sort of meant to be more fun the, the previous one was definitely more like thrilling this was fun uh the fire breathing bit i do always get kind of giddy when i see that because even though I had seen one Godzilla movie, like I think I'd seen, I don't even think it was the original Godzilla. It may have been like the, the 1984, uh, like it wasn't really a remake, but the reboot of Godzilla they did, um, that ended up being released like in North America. Uh, similar to the first one where they made an Americanized version. I remember seeing that one, but I knew enough that Godzilla breathed fire. So when you do get that, it's cheap the way they do it, but still, like, 
it's the same thing with the moment at the end of the ni- the 2014 one, which I really hate the 2014 Godzilla. Really? But when you see, well, I'll be honest. When I saw it the first time, I was sort of just let down. And then like a year later when it was on Netflix, I watched it again. I'm like, wow, this thing is really bad. Um, there are some brilliant moments in it. Like I, I'll be honest, Gareth Edwards – some of the sequences of that movie, the way that he films it, it looks incredible and it plays incredibly, but it's just as a movie, it's just so dull. Uh, but when you get to that final fight, it's the same with this one here, like the, the brief moment where it's really just Godzilla breathing hot breath <laughs> on a car and the car blows up. Uh, but that final moment that you mentioned, the 2014 one, where they just the fire shoots out of his mouth into the other creature's mouth is fantastic. So I really want a fire breathing Godzilla. Um, everything's fine here on the end and and just quick mention on the soundtrack uh you know because obviously the puff daddy song come with me is amazing uh the wallflower song heroes was so like to this day i think that most people even over david bowie and like he's probably one of the most played artists in the world i would argue most people probably if they hear this song in their head i'm not going to say it's more beloved but if you are thinking about heroes in your head, you're probably hearing the Wallflowers version without realizing it because it was so I, I don't want to say overplayed because that sounds like, you know, people would get sick of it like his Nickelback or something. But <laughs> it was everywhere. And when I hear David Bowie's version, I'm a huge David Bowie fan. When I hear his version, I'm always like caught off guard. I'm like, oh, wait, that was the Wallflowers version I'm thinking of. Uh, <laughs> But there's a lot of other good stuff on the soundtrack. Like um, Fuel has a great song in the soundtrack. Uh, Jamiroquai song. I love Jamiroquai. Oh, Jamiroquai uh, is great. What is it? Deeper Underground? Deeper Underground. Great song. Yeah. Um, there's even an Australian band on there, Silverchair. Silverchair, yeah. And I love Silverchair's song. What was theirs? Um, it's called um, Untitled. Untitled, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that famous one, Untitled. Uh, Rage Against Machine song, No Shelter. That's a really good one. Green Day's uh, on there even too. And the Foo Green Fighters, Day, the yeah. Foofs. Uh, and, and also David Arnold's, uh, two pieces from his score. Just quickly talking about David Arnold, you mentioned a couple of good moments with the music in this movie too. Uh, he had done Independence Day two years prior to this, but then the year prior to this is when he came on the James Bond franchise. And obviously after this, he would go on to become probably the second most recognizable composer for James Bond because what's the count at for i don't even know what the counts for john barry it's like 11 or 12 movies that john barry did uh but david arnold basically did tomorrow never dies world's not enough die another day casino royale quantum of solace i mean he did like five movies plus how he got into this was by just as a fan of james bond producing a soundtrack uh an unofficial soundtrack with new artists covering bond themes so obviously as big james bond fans and we love david arnold but I was always surprised to find out that David Arnold, that his soundtrack, particularly for Independence Day and Godzilla, were so loved because it is kind of just generic 90s music. It's great generic 90s music, but I don't know. Maybe it's because these are the blockbusters of that age. It's it's sort of like what John Williams music was, you know, to like the the late 70s, early 80s, like Star Wars, Raiders of the Lost Ark uh, blockbuster crowds. Um and obviously I'm not comparing the two, but it's just, it, he has a lot of fans. And I think I, I definitely had like a star Wars soundtrack at the point this came out. It was probably like a John Williams compilation of like multiple, you know, star Wars pieces, but just having 
these original score pieces on that was probably the first thing that introduced me to like movie scores because mm. I don't think I had any soundtracks prior to this. So I always remember that, even though it, it, I don't think it's the greatest David Arnold score. Just that they included a few of pieces of his music on this massive soundtrack. That was what 90 soundtracks were. It's we don't care. None of these songs are actually in the movie, but we're going to release a soundtrack and branded as the Godzilla soundtrack. And they still included pieces of David Arnold's score, which is great because it is a great score. And I, I Independence Day um, score is one of my favorite scores of all time. I really do like the Independence Day score. So, yeah, props to you, Mr. Arnold. Um, not the one who got killed in Jurassic Park, but uh, the guy who's David Arnold. Uh, so, yeah, this movie, The Reception, not very good. Uh, well, <laughs> just, just, just before you get into that, and it goes along with it, when you want to talk about The Reception... The final moment, which I mentioned earlier on, where Mayor Ebert's talking about, you know, the the mayor that saved New York City and his assistant, Gene, a.k.a. Siskel, goes, this is what I think of that. And he gives him a thumbs up and then turns it to a thumbs down. Obviously, a play on Siskel and Ebert's thumbs up and thumbs down. Did you just quickly, uh, the ending of the film, do you have anything, I guess, on the the cliffhanger that it ends on? Um, I don't think I'm as, as I wouldn't even say you're crazy about it, but I don't think I'm as high on it as you are. Mostly just because it was baby Godzilla. <laughs> I think if we had seen the Godzilla eye, I would have been a little bit more excited. I do know I, I, I did some research to find, I guess, in some interviews, what either Dean Devlin or Roland Emmerich have said the sequel was going to evolve. And it would have been that baby Godzilla, you know, surviving. But it would have transported it to, like, the Monster Island idea that the Japanese Godzilla movies had where... It would have been similar to the new Godzilla movie that's coming out, where they're taking all of the most famous Japanese monsters like uh, Ghidorah and Mothra and Rodan and sort of having Godzilla battle these other monsters. So they would have gone there with the baby Godzilla. Um, what I am happy about, though, with the, the, the cliffhanger ending is although we didn't get the sequel, we got the animated series. Because I don't know if you ever saw the animated series, but it really was a great animated show that featured Nick Tatopoulos as well, and the baby Godzilla having grown up and now kind of being trained as sort of a defender Godzilla, which also is more similar to what the the Japanese movies are now. But I, I love the animated series. Uh, yeah, I was just reading about that here. I, I don't think I ever saw it, but um, I'm reading here too that uh, initially the plans for the sequel, as you were saying, was that the offspring would have battled a giant insect in Sydney. So there you go. Um, it would have come to Australia. As, um, actually, and it's funny because going on how the, I guess the Japanese creators and what they do with their versions, there's a clip on YouTube that they, they rebranded this as Zilla. They kind of completely shied away that this is Godzilla. And so when some of the Japanese versions, they, uh, mention, they sort of table that into its, I guess, continuity. And there's a scene where you get, um, Godzilla, um, transported in front of the Sydney Opera House. And the real Godzilla kills it again, even though it's already dead, by throwing it into the Sydney Opera House. Yeah. So, that was, yeah. um, well, cause I guess we, we didn't really touch on it much, but like the Godzilla movies, the Japanese ones sort of wrapped up their massive continuity in 1995. And then they sold the rights, uh, for the American productions, which basically gave them either five years to make a movie. They had to make a sequel within five years after the original, but they had like a three picture deal when they decided not to make it and they got the rights back. Uh, they started making the Japanese Godzilla movies again, but that was, I think uh, the Japanese one Godzilla final wars, which was 
2004 or something like that. And it basically had Godzilla battling every single monster Godzilla had ever battled. And yeah, that, that, there is a few mentions of the American one throughout that movie. And then the, it's it's basically only a 30 second clip, but it is hilarious because it's like bad effects of the 1998 uh, gender gender fluid Godzilla <laughs> basically being destroyed by the Japanese Godzilla. Well, yeah, no sequels were ever made reception wise. Uh, yeah, this got uh, pretty much ripped apart. 16% on Rotten Tomato, Tomatoes, whatever you want to call it. Uh, average rating of 4 out of 10. The uh, general consensus reads, without compelling characters or heart, Godzilla stomps on everything that made the original or any other monster movie worth its salt a classic. Metacritic has given it 32 out of 100. Um, the film won golden, uh, golden Raspberry Awards for Worst Supporting Actress, <laughs> uh, Worst Remake or Sequel. Now, it was also uh, nominated for Worst Picture, Worst Director, Worst Screenplay, and Worst Movie Trend of the Year, uh, which, uh, what was that for? Uh, Godzilla was nominated for, oh, Yokiro Taki Tines, Megazillion Dollar Cross Promotional Overkill, Armageddon, Godzilla, etc. And it ultimately lost to Gidgets and Geezers, 58-year-old leading men wooing 28-year-old leading ladies, a reference to the likes of A Perfect Murder, Six Days, Seven Nights, and Stepmum. Oh, um, ste- there's a month coming to the Oz Network. Gidgets and <laughs> geezers. Gidgets and geezers. Uh, it lost the worst picture to an Alan Smythe film, Burn Hollywood. Oh, Burn Hollywood Burn. Burn. Yeah. Um, also nominated that year were Armageddon, The Avengers, as in the base one off the TV series, the Uma Thurman one, not the, what we got Ugh. now. And Spice World. <laughs> um, worst actor that year went to Bruce Willis in Armageddon, Mercury Rising, and The Siege. Uh, worst actress went to the Spice Girls as themselves in Spice World. Um, worst supporting actor, Roger Moore was nominated for worst supporting actor that year in Spice World. Ah, um, Maria Patillo beat out, uh, Ellen Alberturney Dow in 54. Jenny McCarthy in Basketball. I loved Basketball. Uh, Liv Tyler in Armageddon. Yeah, she was pretty bad in that movie. And Raquel Welch in Chairman of the Board. Uh, and you'll be happy to know that Leonardo DiCaprio won a Golden Raspberry that year uh, for Leonardo DiCaprio and himself in The Man in the Iron Mask <laughs> for Worst Screen Couple. Uh, so, and worst remake or sequel, it was actually a three-way tie. Uh, the Avengers, Godzilla and Psycho... Uh, beat out Lost in Space and Meet Joe Black. So, oh, I love Lost in Space. So do I. And Roland Emmerich lost out a worst director to Gus Van Sant for Psycho, also nominated that year. Michael Bay for Armageddon. Jeremiah S. Chechik for The Avengers. And Alan Smithy for uh, Burn Hollywood Burn. Oh, and screenplay. Jesus Christ, there's a lot here. Burn oh. Hollywood Burn won the worst screenplay, beating out Armageddon, The Avengers, and Spice World. There's a bit of a um, a trend going on there. So there you go. But yes, uh, the reviews kind of going through there. Let's pick a choose a few good ones here. Uh, Barbara Schulgasa of the San Francisco Examiner in a one star review said, "Okay, maybe the special effects are slightly more sophisticated than they were in." Dr- okay, I'm stopping there. That's that's wrong. <laughs> they what? Saying they were more sophisticated than they were in Jurassic Park? What? Oh. 
get you're drunk, Barbara <laughs> Shugasa, whatever your name. Um, Rita Kempley of the Washington Post said the film neither draws upon our fears nor reveals in the original camp's charms. The picture really isn't about anything unless it is deep pockets and shallow minds of the honchos who begat the colossal boar. She wrote further, size vanquishes both substance and sub, sub, subtle, sub, subtlety, subtlety. I know how to read. Uh, <laughs> the half. Oh, it may as well be titled Iguana Get You Sucker. Uh, <laughs> um, lots of bad reviews um, Later years The producer of this film Here's an interesting one um, So the producer that I'm trying to find here Dean Devlin He came out and said that he Screwed up Godzilla Mainly blaming the script that he co-wrote with Emmerich As a source of the film's failure uh, Devlin additionally emphasized two flaws that he believed hurt the film, stating the first is we did not commit to anthropomorphizing Godzilla, meaning we did not decide if he was a heroic character or a villainous character. That's a good point. We made the intellectual decision to have him be neither and just simply be an animal trying to survive. Devlin admitted the decision was a big mistake and revealed the second film of the flaw was deciding to exposit, exposite, exposite, whatever that word is, the character's background in the middle of the film rather than the first act where we always do. At the time, we told the audience who the characters were. They had already made their minds up about them and we could not change that perception. There were, these were two serious mistakes of the film and I take full responsibility. Um, and apparently Matthew Broderick was on a podcast in 2016 uh, the Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast. He chuckled when Godzilla was brought up, maintaining that he liked the film. Apart from suggesting he may have been miscast, he admitted to failing to understand the film's poor reputation, given that it made a lot of money and was a result of a large group of people's hard work. He also described Roland Emmerich as a very good friend. Oh, well, that makes me happy that Matthew Broderick still likes this film. There you go. Um, and in that Hank Azaria one that I watch on YouTube, like, Hank Azaria doesn't necessarily say it was a bad move. I mean, he said it was a bad, bad reception and everything, but he didn't say he didn't like being in the movie or anything. Um, box office wise, now, I guess I kind of said at the beginning that this was a bit of a bomb, and I guess it wasn't a bomb. Uh, I mean, it made $136 million domestically on a budget of $130 million, uh, plus an extra $242 million overseas. So a total of just under $380 million, which, you know, 1998 standards, not the, uh, you know, not really a bomb, I guess. Uh, for 1998, it was the ninth biggest film, uh, box office wise. Now we often talk about how many movies made over $100 million in, in a year. 18 movies made over $100 million, the lowest being Shakespeare in Love. Um, but the top 10, the well, Saving Private Ryan was number one that year. Armageddon, There's Something About Mary, A Bug's Life, The Waterboy, Dr. Doolittle, Rush Hour, Deep Impact, Godzilla, and Patch Adams. Didn't realize that made that much money. Um, See, I, like all, I like all those movies. Well, some problems with that. Uh, but that's <laughs> like what? What's about- what the problem with what there, Colin Hilding? I Doctor Doolittle, Patch Adams, yeah, they're both the Water Boy. Hey, don't knock the Water Boy. Like, here's the thing. This is what why I was saying earlier about you know I thought that this was an enjoyable movie in 1998, and a lot not a lot of things were. I just remember the summer of '98 being so excited, where it's like every week there was a new movie to see, and for the most part, they all were like, yeah, that was okay. Like even Armageddon. Armageddon's a it's a fun movie. But I believe it has a lot more issues with it than Godzilla does. 
Um, I won't even start on movies like Patch Adams or The Water Boy. Uh, but really, is there any of the the movies in the top ten that year that you could say is like universally praised and loved? Really, Saving Private Ryan and Something About Mary are the only ones. There's some other ones in there that are like they're but fairly Bugs popular, Life, kind of. But it, I think Bugs Life is the it forgotten is, Pixar movie. Yeah, it's still looked at as like the lower end of the Pixar movies. Um, so it's just, it's, it's an unusual year. I think that's part of the other problem. And maybe coming off of a year like 1997, where you had, uh, you know, the success of Titanic, Men in Black, and, uh, well, The Lost World obviously, you know, had some critics and everything. Uh, but so many 1997 movies would be considered classics. And here 1998 comes, and I mean, Saving Private Ryan would obviously a completely different audience. But as far as like summer blockbusters, almost everything that came out that summer was considered a disappointment on some level. Well, you look at some of the other ones here that made over $100 million. The only ones here that you might put in that category, I mean, The Truman Show is generally widely praised. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, Shakespeare in Love has its critics, shouldn't have won the Best Picture Oscar and things like that, but I guess it's still generally liked. Mulan, I guess, is a popular Disney movie. You've got mail. You and I like that movie, so that's all that counts. Mm. Um, I mean, the Rugrats movie. <laughs> <laughs> that made a hundred million dollars. Yeah, that uh, that made more money than Shakespeare in Love. Now, so- <laughs> I, I know we did this on the last Action Hero one. Um, just looking at the ninth highest grossing movie of the year. So we can put it in perspective because people will look at this and say, well, well, Godzilla bombed. I mean, ninth highest grossing in 2017, what was that? If we can put it in perspective of how big of a hit this really was in comparison to last year. 2017, let's quickly yeah. open that up. The ninth biggest movie in 2017 was Despicable Me 3 that made $264 million. So, Ten? Um, yeah. And if you want to know right now what is sitting in 2018 at the time of recording this is actually Venom. So yeah, and uh, both of those movies considered huge hits. And if one hundred thirty-six million dollars or whatever in nineteen ninety-eight is the equivalent of over two hundred fifty today, basically imagine Godzilla, the the gender fluid Godzilla, uh, <laughs> making two hundred fifty million dollars today. If it was the most heavily hyped movie of the year, probably still considered a disappointment. But this is by no means a bomb. Well, I think it's interesting looking at some of these movies in terms of just the 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 stats. I mean. 1998, you also had the X-Files movie, which, uh, you know, obviously at the peak of powers of the X-Files, that only made 83 million, which I guess, you know, for TV, I mean, 98 was a big, that was a big period for TV remakes into movies. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we had Lost in Space as well, uh, coming Avengers. off of Mission Impossible, The Avengers. Uh, you know, you and I are both fans of Six Days, Seven Nights. That only mm-hmm. made 73 million. The Parent Trap is kind of one of these culty movies now that kind of everybody enjoys. That only made 66 million. U.S. Marshals, the sequel to The Fugitive. I've got Life is Beautiful that won an Oscar for that guy. I can't remember his name. Lethal Weapon Benich. 4. Lethal Weapon 4. Mighty Joe. Oh, Mighty Joe Young. Uh, Practical Magic. <laughs> uh-huh. So, a Pleasant Veal, of course. That, I mean, that only made 40 million dollars. Mm. Um, so, and that, I think, has got a bit of a, you know, a cult following. See, the other movies here that I'm a fan of, The Negotiator was released in that year. They only made $44 million as well. Uh, Urban Legend is a beloved film by horror film, like, sort of, sort of beloved. A Night at the Roxbury, one of my favorite movies. You know what we basically discovered? 1998 was the year where any movie that had a big budget and a lot of promotion behind it, People are very divided on or hate. 
All of mm. the small movies with zero expectations went on to be considered classics, like Pleasantville or A Night at the Roxbury. Even it's, The Odd Couple 2 only made $18 million. Babe, Pig in the City, $18 million. Um, can we just point out that the reissue of Grease made more money than The Avengers? <laughs> can we? I just want to put that as a headline out there for people to freak out. Like, random fact for moviegoers, the reissue of Grease made more money than The Avengers did. Everyone's like, what? It's like... Hashtag 1998 version of the Avengers based on the TV series. And an <laughs> Alan Smithy film, Burn Hollywood Burn, made more money than the Avengers in 1998. <laughs> uh, th- I mean, that opening, it was a Memorial Day weekend release as well. Um, mm. And it had the second biggest, uh, was it no, the biggest weekend opening of that year. If I did have it open a second ago, I've seemed to have lost that screen. Uh, did it have the biggest opening? For ni- yeah, yearly it had the biggest opening weekend in 1998, Godzilla mm. did. Um, so, oh, okay, that's changed from as soon as I opened that up. Oh, never mind, I know what I'm looking at. But it opened at $44 million, um, and the only other movie that opened that weekend was Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. That only made $3 million. Uh, it was the third Small week of Deep Impact. Gone on to become you know, a classic. <laughs> it has, yes. Uh, Deep Impact made $15 million in its third week. Titanic, in its 23rd week, still made $2.9 million. Um, and, oh, Mouse Hunt in its 23rd week only made $13,000. <laughs> I actually saw Mouse Hunt at the movies when I was a kid. There's a random thing. Um, I mean, do you have anything to add really on the box office? Because, yeah, I think I, I was wrong at the beginning when I did mention that it was a box office bomb. I, mean, I think it's not really a box office bomb. It made money. It, it was mainly the, the critics that ripped it a new one. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think it's a combination of the critics and also it not living up to the expectations of being the most heavily hyped movie of all time. You know, if uh, it's hard to find a comparison today because all the most hyped movies are giant franchises already like the Avengers or whatever. But I don't know what we say if, if, uh, if you had the first Iron Man movie came out and there was so much hype behind it. I mean, there wasn't this type of hype, but if there was so much hype and then the first Iron Man movie, you know, made $30 million less, that's kind of what this mm. is. It's like if this movie had cracked 150, 160 million, then it probably would have been considered a bigger hit. If it had made 200 million, it would have been, con- you know, uh, considered like living up to the hype. And, people just not being as crazy about it and it making a little less than expected kind of has led people to believe that it was this massive failure, which it really wasn't. What I do like, though, is when you Google Godzilla 1998. I mean, and we mentioned at the very top of this that realistically this film has never come around as like, oh, it's a cult. It's not as bad as you think. Mm. One of the first ones you see here is uh, an article on Google, denofgeek.com. Godzilla 1998, what went wrong with the Roland Emmerich movie? I read that earlier. If you go to the second page, there are actually a few here that uh, that tickle my fancy. So we've got one here from Complex.com. Hear me out. Godzilla 1998 doesn't actually suck. Followed by <laughs> FilmSchoolRejects.com. Godzilla 1998 isn't as bad as you remember. Um, so there's a few things here that kind of maybe are coming around a little bit here and there. But I think one thing that the overall selling patch, and I think you might have mentioned this last week, Take this movie for the time period it's in. And just going on those movies that we went through in that top ten, Armageddon, yeah. you know, for example, is, you know, the second biggest film of night. I'm a big Armageddon fan, but you're right. Like, it's got 
a lot more plot holes and dumbness about it than I think Godzilla does. Mm-hmm. But, like, they're just kind of dumb, entertaining popcorn movies, which is what this period really produced. And I think, you know, we're so spoilt for choice now with these movies where they're realistic, they're gritty, they're... Act- like, there's... You know, we live in a good era of movies right now. A bad. Depends on what type of movies you like. Mm. But... You know, put yourself back in 1998. I mean, I was 11. I remember the, and these movies were what you got and you got excited for them. It's, it's, it's dumb. It's cheap fun. Yes, we can see why people don't like this film because of the expectations that were labeled against it. But I don't understand why people can't sort of take this almost as a culty kind of so dumb it's bordering on good style of things because you know, there are definitely worse movies than this, and I, for one, might be biased, but this is a buy it for me. I love it. I think it's great, and I think it deserves more people to kind of just take lots of things on board and not instantly go, oh, 1998 Godzilla, that sucks. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm almost torn... Well, I, I would have said earlier I was almost torn between this being a buy it or maybe a really high rent it because there are a lot of issues with it. But the argument you made there about you have to look at this in terms of 1998 movie for what this movie is, it's perfectly fine. And I think it is buy worthy. Um, I would say if I'm comparing this to other monster movies or Americanized monster movies since this Cloverfield's kind of its own thing. You don't really include that. But like, I think this is a much more entertaining movie than Peter Jackson's King Kong. And I don't hate Peter Jackson's King Kong very much like this. I think there's a lot of problems with Peter Jackson's King Kong. I think there's more problems than this. Um, the 2014 Godzilla. I prefer this one over the 2014 one Kong skull Island. I would say I prefer Kong skull Island. Uh, but will I feel the same way 20 years from now? I don't know. I mean, if I think back to myself at 1998, how much I enjoyed Godzilla versus, 2018 how much i enjoy kong skull island i probably say i was a bigger fan of godzilla in 98 than i am of this now or uh, than kong now and i think kong's very similar to this too like i think kong's almost a throwback to the 90s style i mean it takes place in the 70s there's obviously throwbacks to that just uh, like the visuals you presented but the style of the movie is a throwback. Like, it is goofy. There's a lot of dumb things in Kong Skull Island intentionally, and I like that about the movie. I feel like this may have had uh, a little bit more of that big movie feel to it. And maybe that's just because, like, Kong Skull Island is uh, it's just another movie now. And it, it, when you do look at this as a 1998 movie, it still feels big. And I think that's what impressed me in 98 is it, it felt bigger than the other movies released that year. So I would lean towards a buy it. Cause I think you make a good point that like as a 1998 blockbuster, everything that we read on that list from 1998 was dumb. And most of them were much worse than this. What a time to be alive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when, when everybody was poor. dumb and you just accepted it. Are we going to look back in, like, 2038 and go, oh, how dumb were 2018 movies, you know? Like, just... They had a sea creature having sex with a woman in the shower. (laughs) And they complain about gender-fluid Godzilla. I really do think that that movie's going to be an interesting topic in a few years' time. Yeah. (laughs) People actually sit back and realise the best picture movie of 2018 (laughs) was a woman fucking a fish. And, and Maria Patillo didn't do that. She had exactly. class. 
Oh, Jesus. How did that win? Um, so that concludes anniversary decade. Um, I'm glad we're here for the 30th anniversary of Godzilla, the 35th anniversary of Last Action Hero. Uh, I mean, it's really been, uh, is this the first time we've done something the same from a year before? Have we repeated other things previously? Um, no, this is the first. Look at us doing stuff. So I guess, I mean, we don't really know what we're doing next. We'll, we'll talk about that in a moment. But what, what can we look forward to next year, Colin? What, what anniversary movies can we look? Let's have a quick, I think we did this last year, so we can have a quick little browse. Well, um, I tell you, so, there's one that, uh, I think both of us will each go into these years and we're like, this one we have to do. For me, I have the one that I have to do and it's Galaxy Quest. Like, there's oh, yeah. no oh, way around yes. it. Galaxy Quest, because I think the cool thing about doing this is that we will pick movies like 2001 or Greece that are like, you know, uh, like cu- have cultural significance. Like these are iconic movies, and we want to cover ones like that or Titanic, where it's like everybody's talking about the anniversary. But then just pick stuff where it's like not a lot of people were talking about White Man Can't Jump or Face Off, and just like not a lot of people were talking about Godzilla or Last Action Hero. Like Galaxy Quest is the one for me. We have to do. Well, I've just dumped in a couple of numbers here. So if we go 50 years next year for 1969 in film, uh, Easy Rider, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, the original Italian jobs up there. Um, if we go 40 years in film, we've got Alien, Apocalypse Now, Star Trek, The Motion Picture, Moonraker, ah! Um, Monty Python's Life of Brian Kramer vs. Kramer. I like that movie. Um, 1989 in film, uh, Batman, Dead Poet Society, va- uh, Christmas Vacation, The Little Mermaid, uh, for 25 years, 1994, oh, this is a good year, 1994, check out yeah. some of these, Forrest Gump, Pulp Fiction, Shawshank Redemption, Lion Speed. King, Speed, Dumb and Dumber, True Lies, The Mask, um, then we go 20 years, 1999, uh, best year of music, by the way, can I just point that out? Um, American Beauty, The Sixth Sense, The Matrix, Fight Club, The Mummy, Star Wars Episode 1 is 20 <laughs> years old next year. Jesus Christ, well, we, we will be doing that next year, but for Star Wars, <laughs> we're going to start on Star Wars now, I think. We're going to be doing that for a long yeah. time. Um, and even for 10 years, I mean, Avatar is one that I know you don't particularly like, do you? Um, I've actually never seen Avatar once. Uh, we've got Watchmen, Inglorious Bastards, the reboot of Star Trek, um, Sherlock Holmes, District 9, um, I Love You Man, that's a good movie, I like that movie, um, so yeah, there's think- lots to discuss, we could do The Twilight Saga, New Moon, no. <laughs> ten, 10 years next year. Has it been so um, long already? Paul Blart, Mall Cop, come on, <laughs> <laughs> let's get into it. Uh, so yes, we look forward to that next year. Um, but in the meantime, we were meant to be doing Bio Month, uh, in the lead up to Bohemian Rhapsody. Kind of already out. (laughs) 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 Probably starting on Christmas month now, aren't we? Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. What do you you want to do, Colin? (laughs) Going along with anniversaries, I mean, we were going to do Die Hard for anniversary month. We said, well, we probably should save that for Christmas. So I think there's no way we can't do Die Hard for Christmas. And maybe Can we one thing we jingle could... all the way. Well, well, I was thinking one of the things we could do is like uh, last year we did all the Tim Allen ones. We could just do like unconventional Christmas movies. Like I, I think there was one that Noah uh, and you wanted to do last year with like uh, uh, Emily DeRaven and Bill Goldberg, uh, like yeah. Santa Slays. <laughs> yeah, no, I remember that. Um, 
Well, we could do... Uh, what was that stupid Hulk Hogan one? Wasn't it Santa with muscles Santa or something? Santa with <laughs> muscles, yeah. No, that, there's, a, like, there's a good idea. We could pick like the 80s action stars, so we do Jingle All the Way and Die Hard, and then for good measure we'll throw in Santa Slays and Santa with muscles, like pro wrestler, bad... <laughs> And Emily DeRavid. <laughs> she fits in so... When people think of Arnold Schwarzenegger, Bruce Willis, Hulk Hogan, Emily DeRavid is automatically the next one that comes up in that conversation. My squirrel baby! Uh, we, we just sure. locked in a whole month of Christmas movies. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, I know for one, at least at the time of recording this, um, to date this, that uh, I think I'm seeing Bohemian Rhapsody tomorrow, um, which I'm so excited for. I've already got the soundtrack, and I've been listening to that to death. So, uh, I mean, are you planning on seeing that? Am I going to doing a review just with Mallory, or am I waiting for you? Well, I mean, we're doing this on air right now. Fuck it. Why not? People yeah. are listening, so who cares? Um, I, I'm afraid at this point that by the time I see the movie, it's going to be two or three weeks from now. So uh, we'll, we'll have to see. I think I'm just doing it. <laughs> You're doing it. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's coming soon. But, uh, I mean, we've still got what Aquaman to come this year as well. That's, I mean, really the only big one to come. Am I missing another one after that? Uh, Somebody asked me this the other day. I'm like, there's really not a lot coming out this year. It's almost sad. Mm. Um, there is one, like, it's a smaller scale movie. And uh, um, it's uh, Steve McQueen, the guy who did 12 Years a Slave, has made a female Jerry action film uh, called Widows with Viola Davis. Uh, that's uh, basically about a bunch of widows who have to pull off a heist uh, for money and Liam Neeson plays Viola D- Davis's husband in it so I mean you got Viola Davis you got Liam Neeson you're doing a Jerry action film I'm in for that and I've already told Jamie that comes out the day before our anniversary we're going to see Widows on our anniversary <laughs> that's my anniversary plan wow that's a that's a bit of a foreshadow there I thought you were about to say that Liam Neeson plays Viola Davis I'm like wow okay that's she's got an interesting range there Liam I didn't realize he was that yeah. capable <laughs> Uh, so yeah, stay tuned, but, uh, we still have our, I guess, random rewatching month thing. Well, not month, Mondays that are filling in for lost until we bring that back. Uh, Nip Tuck and Third Watch are still happening on their designated days. Uh, you have any plans to talk about Survivor at all? I still haven't watched this season. Yes. What's happening? Um, uh, well, I mean, I think by the time this episode goes up, uh, we're going to be just past the merge and we will be doing a mid-season recap slash merge episode so that will be coming if it's not out around the time this episode's out it should be out within 24 48 hours from now and i'm sure you've probably already seen our bohemian rhapsody post then if it's just mallory and i doing it interesting thing just on survivor i've been in new zealand now for about three weeks randomly turned on the tv this morning and survivor was on i'm like oh cool they're showing it in new zealand it was co-wrong so um they're a bit behind here in new zealand <laughs> slowly getting there <laughs> so keep watching new zealanders you've got a few more seasons till it gets bad uh but yes it's been a lot of fun anniversary millennium uh, we've had some fun movies, and did we bin any movies? I don't think we did. Um, um so no, no. Well, we bin, I two bin, and bought the others. I'm pretty sure I've been Greece. Did you bin Greece? Let's have a look here. Did you bin Greece? No, you rented it. What? Can I change it? <laughs> <laughs> How? So you, I'm guessing you're going to rank these as Greece last, or? <laughs> I mean, if we're ranking these, I would go. I'd probably go 2001: A Space Odyssey first. Pretty tight between Last Action Hero, but I might go Last Action Hero even higher than Godzilla, and Greece definitely the lowest. 
So I'm going to go, <laughs> this is going to make some film critics get angry at me. Uh, Godzilla first. <laughs> Last Action Hero second, 2001 A Space Odyssey third, and Grease fourth. <laughs> ben Waterworth just ranked 1998's Godzilla as a better film than 2001 A Space Odyssey. There you, you just go. got fired from your journalism job within the last few <laughs> yeah. seconds of this podcast. I will never get a serious job <laughs> as a film reviewer ever. <laughs> simply state it then. Thank you, everyone, shooting in. Like us on Facebook, maybe not after that comment. Follow us on Twitter. Subscribe on iTunes. Leave us some feedback on iTunes. It's been a while. Why not? You're not doing much right now. Why not leave us some ratings? And uh, we thank you for your support. We hope you're enjoying these episodes as much as we enjoyed recording them. My name is Ben. And... <laughs> And my name is Colin, and I reproduce asexually. Thank you for listening to the Oz Network. Don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week. For more information, hit us up at theoznetwork.net.